rdtdaily.com presents a Tara Buster with comedian Tara Devlin. Yo, hello. Can I hear me? Yes. Can you hear me? That's more important. Hi, guys. My name is Tara Devlin. How you doing, everybody? We have a show. We have show tonight. Like Trump has wall, we have show. We will build wall. We will build show. We d- we're devolving as far as the English language is concerned, as well as we're devolving y- in our humanity. So by the time he's done with us, we'll be, we'll, we'll be knuckle-dragging cavemen and women. Just going, ooga, pointing our guns. Uh, I feel threatened. It's just not right to walk on private property. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. Hello, and thank you, Jim, for your super chat. Welcome to the show. I see you, Eddie, from Texas. Howdy, right on back to you. If you're on Facebook, come on over to YouTube if you can, because that's really well. I will be reading the t- the um, not tweets, the texts of. This is where we hang out. I hang out. We hang out on YouTube. At the RDT Daily YouTube channel. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, um, Jim. Thank you for your super chat. Welcome, Deborah. Thank you, Ed, for being here. Hello, Haiku. And I want to thank John, because last night I proposed a challenge. I asked if. I said, I, you know what, I'm not going to do a show tomorrow. Last night, our show went into the wee hours of the morning. This happens sometimes. That's why the weekday specials, you never know what's going to happen. So I don't think I'll be able to do another four-and-a-half-hour show tonight. Well, it was four hours and 15 minutes. It's because I'm tired. I have a headache, okay? And I've been saying it all. I've been saying it for a couple of weeks. I, I don't know. I have a tension headache on the top of my head. I'm experiencing a lot of stress lately with the rest of Earth. And I have this, I have this very annoying headache that won't go away. And I know there's a couple of things you don't F with in as far as your health is concerned. You don't screw with a fever. I learned that the hard way. And you don't F with a headache. But this headache kind of comes and goes and... I think it's uh, byproduct. I I don't know. I looked it up. I went on WebMD. I looked up headache on the top of your head, and it said, well, the first thing that came up was tension headache. I figured if it was an aneurysm by now, I probably would have collapsed, and also I would have had some other symptoms, like I probably wouldn't be able to function and do a show. So if something happens during the show, hey, that's the... You never know. That's interesting. It'll Maybe we'll get more patrons that way if I have some kind of stroke event during the show. But it's really... So during last night's show, I said I wasn't going to do a show until uh, unless someone became a patron. If we had a challenge, the patron challenge, if we got a new patron by tomorrow, meaning last night, <laughs> it's very confusing, I know. Uh, 
then I would do a show tonight, which ended up being later in the day, really, because it was already after midnight. And before I was able to even shut down Tara Buster Studios and go to bed for the night, we got a patron. John, I, don't, I guess I won't say your last name, but yeah, hello, John, welcome. John M.T., we'll call him. M, middle initial, T, last initial. And, uh, yeah, I want to thank you, John, for doing that. Because that actually made me feel good, too. Because I would kind of feel bad, really, if nobody became a patron. After the challenge, I would think, well, what do I do? You know, every five minutes, right? Every show, the first ten to five minutes, I sit here and you guys talk me off the ledge, for one thing. And you also... Talk me into doing a show. <laughs> it's, it's what happens. You're like, it's worth it. Don't worry. It will it will happen. I get notes from people. Don't worry. It'll happen. It'll happen for you. Because, oh, now I have something in my eye. Because I really want to end up, I really want to do the show on a daily basis. And not just me wanting to do it. I believe in it. And I also believe, I believe that, we need this. We need shows like this to have a functioning democracy that works for all. Don't ask, don't, don't just look at me. Look at history. Every movement in our history, or in any history, it, you, what is essential? What is, in, think about uh, in any, even the American Revolution, would never have caught in, uh, caught in. I now make up words. That's only because I have a headache. I'm making up words. I was watching a lot of clips from The View today, which we'll talk about. And so, of course, I'm making up words like caught in. <laughs> I wanted uh, caught on, I was trying to say. <laughs> so, yeah. we um, The American Re- Revolution, the whole notion of the fact that we could have a functioning society without a king and an aristocracy wouldn't have caught on without the pamphleteers and in my opinion podcasters the liberal media independent liberal media like this show like Bob Kincaid like Mike Malloy the independent liberal broadcasters like some on progressive voices (laughs) I won't say all where the modern update, I believe, of those pamphleteers standing up to the entrenched power structure. That is, yes, I know, watching The View. That explains the headache, too. Yes, exactly. Thank you. (laughs) That's right, Haiku. And thank you, Deborah, for your super chat. So, yeah, because I was watching The View because that amazing doctor, Dr. Jill Biden was on The View today. And Joe Biden was also on, he gave a speech today. Many things happened. And as I was watching them, I started to get depressed again. I I run the gamut of emotions. I, of course, let me play, let me say, I'll vote for Joe Biden, the amazing Joe Biden with the amazing doctor for, for a wife. But I'm, 
I have a lot of concerns. And one of my concerns is what's the difference between, and here's another thing I was watching today, Ted Cruz. I went back in time a couple of years to watch Ted Cruz say the only true thing I ever heard him say when he was talking about Donald Trump. Let's go down that memory lane together so we can all just get, oh, let me get my, my game face on, my game head on, <laughs> if that's even, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Let's get the, sometimes you just got to get in the game, get your head in the, in the show, you know what I mean? So I'm talking about things as if you, uh, you I'm assuming you know what I'm talking about, but you weren't watching these videos all day, so maybe you never saw it. Um, let me show you. Here's Ted Cruz. A couple of years ago when he was running for the, the presidency and Donald Trump, whoops, hey, that's the wrong card. And Donald Trump was, he was in the, this was during the Republican primary when the Republicans were pretending that they had a semblance of integrity and they were all fighting against Donald Trump before he completely co-opted and absorbed the Republican Party into his, uh, I guess, I don't know, into his con. And the Republican Party revealed itself truly for what it is, what I have said it's been from the beginning. Of course, it didn't take much. That's how fragile the Republican Party's hold on integrity was. It didn't, it, did, it took nothing but a push, a little bit of a push from a con man. All he had to do was go and blow them over into complete and utter uh, fascism. They don't, they went from having to pretend that they love democracy and that they love America. Oh, they still pretend that. They wear their made in China American flag lapel pens. Yes, of course. But they're not even pretending anymore that they're, they have an interest in governing. Their interest is exactly what I've said it's been from the beginning, to make the rich richer and the working class the more malleable working poor, period, end of sentence, to drag us back to the very system the founders rebelled against. That's the goal of the Republican Party. And why we do the show. And yes, it is a community effort. Oh, fuck. I just saw that the, the camera froze for a second and I was like, shit. Is this... I, all right, relax. Because I thought for a second we were going to go back and something was going to happen. The, sometimes we do the show as we're doing the show. The camera craps out. The stream stops, wor stops working. But before... I make a point before I start the show, I shut down the computer completely. I mean, it's a relatively new computer. It's less than a year old. So it shouldn't, I really shouldn't need to kick it like this. You know what I mean? Like you kick, uh, kick the old mule or something. It should run a little bit smoother. But I don't know. And I have it packed with RAM and blah, 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 whatever. But... Before I start the show, for just to be safe, I shut down completely. I tried to clean, clean it out, so clean out all the, the cash, make sure it's fresh. 
restart, and then I start up all the programs, and then I disconnect the external hard drives that are connected to the to it that I use because during the show, even last night during the show, we had an incident where all of a sudden it freezes up, right? Something's going on. That was my camera. What the fuck is happening? I, I really don't want to, ha- I can't handle it. I don't need any technical difficulties today because my brain is broken. I do have a headache. I'm hoping it's fe- it's feeling better. You know, it's kind of strange. I, I'm sitting here, I'm preparing for the show, and then I, I have this headache, and then I'm doing the show, and it goes away. So maybe it is part of the, ten- it is a tension headache, you know? Like, I'm feeling better doing the show because I'm talking to you guys. I don't know. So, what the hell? Yes. All right, let me play. Here's Ted Cruz. This is in 2016, to refresh everyone's memory. Trump alleges that my dad was involved in assassinating JFK. Now, let's be clear. This is nuts. (laughs) This is not a reasonable position. This is just kooky. And while I'm at it, I guess I should go ahead and admit, yes, my dad killed JFK. He is secretly Elvis, and, J- and Jimmy Hoffa is buried in his backyard. I wouldn't say that you know, if I were Ted Cruz, because you know that there will be a large section of the Trump and Z base that believes him. That they'll cut that out and say, yeah, he's, he admitted it. He has Jimmy Hoffa buried in his backyard. Read it. It's right there, right in front of you. All you got to do is read. If you were smart, like the guy, like like half those people that went and testified in Florida at the town hall where they're all crazy, pissed off about having to wear masks during the pandemic. And they're saying, you're trying to kill us all. All you got to do is read, read, read. What the hell are they reading? Who, who taught them to read? Where? Where, where do these people come from? But anyway, let's continue with Ted Cruz. Donald's source for this is the National Enquirer. The National Enquirer is tabloid trash. Doesn't he look like, I don't know, he looks like a drag queen out of makeup to me. You know, like when you go, you have a show, the drag show backstage, and the drag performers are getting out of their getting out of their costumes. That's what he looks like to me. Not that, not that there's anything wrong with it, but you know what I mean? He really has that look of a... Something is not... There's something off about him. But it's run by his good friend, David Pecker, the CEO, who's endorsed Donald. And so the National Enquirer has become his hit that he uses to smear anybody and everything. And this is not the first time Donald Trump has used David Pecker's National Enquirer to go after my family. It was also the National Enquirer that went after my wife, Heidi. Oh, God. Heidi. That just spread lies, blatant lies. But I guess Donald was dismayed because it was a couple of weeks ago the Enquirer wrote this idiotic story about JFK. 
And Donald was dismayed that, that the folks in the media weren't repeating this latest idiocy, so he figured he'd have to do it himself. He'd have to go on national television and accuse my dad of that. Listen, my father has been my hero. My, my dad was imprisoned and tortured in Cuba, and when he came to America, he had nothing. He had $100 in his underwear. He washed dishes making 50 cents an hour. You know, he's exactly the kind of person Donald Trump looks down And as I'm listening to the story, of course, you have to take everything that Republicans say with a grain of salt. His father came here with 50 cents in his underwear, or $50, he says, in his underwear. He washed dishes for 50 cents an hour. And what year was that, Ted Cruz? I love the way Republicans always hearken back to this America that— they, their parents were able to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, or their grandparents. If you listen to the Republican convention a couple of years ago, not, not the one with the Trump fanzies, the one of them, the one where uh, Chris Christie was one of the uh, contenders, or he, and he gave a speech. He was, it was at that time when Chris Christie was the uh, Republican savior du jour. They they hop around, you know, Bobby Jindal, he was one. Uh, Marco Rubio was another. They they pa- they go around, they go they see, oh, maybe it's you. Maybe it's Chris Christie. Yeah, yeah, maybe it's uh, Bobby Jindal. Or now it's Nikki Haley. It was Sarah Palin for a while. See, is it you? You fit the suit. Are you the one? But they all hearken back to this time in American history that Republican policies destroyed. So if he's talking about a time in American history where his father was able to pull himself himself up by his bootstraps, washing dishes for 50 cents an hour, that was in an America, I'm assuming, judging by Ted Cruz's age and, and speculating how old his father was, um, in the 50s, was maybe his father was here during a time in American history where the rich paid a top marginal tax rate of 90%, where there was a 35% union, unionized workforce here in America, where we had trade, tax, and tariff policies that protected American workers and built an economy from the ground up. I'm assuming this is before Reagan got his greasy, greedy, neoliberal fingers around the neck of power and squeezed the life out of the middle class and dragged the American middle class into the ranks of the working poor. But that's what they're all hearkening back to. Let's take a mental journey with Ted Cruz back to the time where my father went, he, he... survived on uh, washing dishes for 50 cents an hour in a country that Republican policies systematically destroyed. So I find that incredibly ironic, and it's also the reason why he, when we get together on this show that we talk about these things. The Democratic Party does the same thing. They never bring the receipts. They never put it together. 
They put, they complain about things as if they, it just happened. It just so, uh, by the way, happened. Like when Hillary Clinton complained about Fox News attacking her constantly. Oh, that just happened. Yeah, that happened because your, your husband signed the Telecommunications Act of 1996. I mean, it's all connected. And we have to start... Um, bringing, I mean, calling these people to the carpet, not letting them get away with it. Let's not be like, I, I don't know what it is with this country. Is every country like this, for Christ's sakes? No. You have to, you, you, you don't know things by osmosis. I remember when I was younger. You know, people, my father sometimes would say things. My father was a big history buff, and I am now too. But he would say things to me about history. And I guess he assumed that I already knew them. And I remember, I'm trying to remember an exact instance. But, you know, and I would just go, yeah, yeah. But I didn't know what he was talking about. You know, because he would say, well, when... uh, Hitler invaded Poland, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, like assuming, because I felt embarrassed. I, I don't know why he assumed I would know these things. You don't know these things unless you were taught. Like, the ch- kids today do not know that a country, that the country that they were born into in the United States, that there was a time where th- if you didn't like your job, I didn't know this time. My aunt tells me about this time. They would say, all right, I'm going, bye. I don't like this job. I'm going to get another job. You didn't have to really worry. You had your pick. And all of these jobs, regardless of whether you were sweeping the floors or whatever it was you were doing, sitting in a boardroom, you were entitled to a decent middle-class life. As That's what you... That's the American dream. And my aunt tells me these stories. She didn't like one job she had. She walked out. Okay, bye. I'm going over. I'm going to work over here now. They never really had to worry too long because you, the economy was built for the working class. And we had a strong manufacturing base that protected American workers. And we had a unionized workforce. Not... Uh, it wasn't all 100% unionized. It was we had a large majority of the American worker was unionized. But it took the Republican Party and their propaganda machines. And that's why what we do is so important. It took Fox News. They couldn't have done it without Fox News or the likes of Rush Limbaugh or... I mean, why do you think, or Glenn Beck, or, I mean, pick one of them, anywhere, everywhere you go, on the internet, on your AM radio dial, on your FM radio, on your TV set, wherever you go, the right-wing message is blaring at you. If you go into a gas station, there's Fox News. If you're sitting in a dentist office, there's Rush Limbaugh on the radio, and everyone is supposed to... Um, just assume that, oh, yeah, they're telling you the truth. That's, what do you think it's, uh, the, the, why do you think that, for example, 
in North Korea, every radio, every house has a radio station. They have a radio, and every, every radio is on constantly. You cannot turn it off because propaganda works. It's the same thing that happened in Nazi Germany. One of the, um, the initiatives that the Nazis instituted, along with you know, putting people back to work, along with building the Autobahn, they got the factories working. And these factories made radios. And every house had a radio. And to the working class, that was the sign of progress. But it was also deliberate because they were controlling the media. And into these radios, they were pumping the propaganda to get people uh, on their side. It's important. Human beings are storytellers. We communicate. We want to be heard. We want to be seen. That's who we are. We tell our stories. And whoever, whoever owns you know, the uh, mechanisms of the storytelling is really the person who is, uh, who, who controls you. So that's why it's important that we have an independent liberal media and we also have, I mean, we don't really have, we don't have a, a, a liberal media at all. Part of the way that the Republicans have been able to screw us is that they have incessantly harped on this propaganda about the liberal media, that people just say it when it doesn't exist. And I know for a fact, because we, they do studies. I mean, I told you guys, I have a master's degree in communications. And one of the Things that we learned, and I remember specifically because I used to argue with my, my brother-in-law all the time. I told you my brother-in-law it was, my former brother-in-law is a Republican. And we used to argue all the time, and he would just say shit like, oh, you know, the liberal media. And I'd say, there is no liberal media. And this was before Trump. There is no liberal media. They have done studies according to you know, because you can count how many radio stations there are, how many television stations are there, who owns these stations, what is the slant of these stations, what are they, what's their programming. And according to math, and you know, when you put, when you add it all up, most of the stations, most of the media in this country is leaning right. It's not, we don't have a liberal media. And this was back when Rush Limbaugh was, I mean, he still is prolific, but we have, um, what do we have on our side? What do the real Democrats, the real patriots of this country have up against the big moneyed interests who have always been the enemies of the people? We don't even have, what do we have? We have this show. We have you. We have, I don't know, me and Ecamm sitting here trying to break through the noise. And, and it is pretty depressing sometimes. It really is. Because then, you know, that's why when I was watching The View today, oh my God, wait till we get to that. 
it's ridiculous. It's inane. And who the, who are these people to have such a wide platform? No wonder. Really, honestly, that's what we're up against. But that is by design. They they want us to be stupid and misinformed and misled and not critical thinkers, not able to put the dots together. But it all it, it's all connected. Of course it is. All right, let's just continue with this guy. Uh, and somebody else, you know, I think it was Ron Placone that said that Ted Cruz looks like a melted candle. <laughs> he does. It looks like one of those Halloween candles. Well, whatever. Anyway, now here he is talking about his beautiful wife. The kind of person Donald Trump looks down. I'm going to do something I haven't done for the entire campaign, for those of y'all who have traveled with me. I'm sorry to interrupt again, but just to make, to put a pin or to emphasize the point, why are we here? You know, I'm able to sit here listening to Ted Cruz. We are, um, obviously, we grabbed this clip off of CNN. So they did it again, what the corporate media does. The corporate media that pays their mouthpieces millions of dollars they send, the, they have crews out, they have crews all over the world for what purpose, God knows, to sit and plop a camera in front of Ted Cruz so he can, whatever, say what he has to say, unchallenged. What is the point of that? Let Ted Cruz have his own goddamn blog, if that's the point. The, is that the purpose of a liberal media? To act as Ted Cruz's personal fucking uh, Facebook page? So he could sit there and give his point of view? And without being challenged, without having any of the historical context inserted for the viewer? Because when he says things like that, my father came here and was able to pull himself up by his bootstraps with a job uh, being paid 50 cents, who the hell knows, a day with $50 in his underwear. Why do they just take all of that at face value? Say, yeah, what year did your father get here? Well, Ted Cruz's father arrived in the United States uh, at whatever, uh, in 1954. And at that time, we had a top marginal tax rate of 90%. So a, an immigrant could have a family, build a life in a country that where the unionized workforce guaranteed workers a living wage. And, you know, I mean, they could put it together, you know what I mean? But they don't. And I think this is what the young people of this country, is this what they think? That's what media does. It just lets powerful people spread their bullshit around without anybody interjecting or, or uh, adding any context. And that's what we're here for, I guess. But it's a shame, really. Well, that's to put it mildly. It's not just a shame. It's a disgrace to this country. It's also a uh, 
an insult to the founders and the, who enshrined the profession of journalism into the founding documents. What are they, they, they? Is that what the founders said? That we need what? Uh, yes, a free press. What's a free press? To sit, uh, to, uh, to be a, uh, I mean, to take it back to 17, the 1700s, it's as if the, the, uh, the press sat down and just took dictation from King George III and posted it for all of his subjects. That's what they're doing. There is no difference. What is the difference? Somebody pointed out to me. Maybe I'm missing it. They don't push back. They don't challenge whatever is being said. They offer absolutely no historical context. They have the means to do it. They have very deep pockets. They have enough money to pay their, their mouthpieces millions of dollars. You know? They could pay reporters. They could pay um, people to go out and news gather. They could take Chuck Todd's salary and slice it in half. Slice it in fifths, goddammit. Man, it sucks. But yes, of course, L's, they won't. Across the country, I'm going to tell you what I really think of Donald. This man is a pathological liar. Yeah, you're right. You got it right He doesn't once. know the difference between truth and lies. He lies practically every word that comes out of his mouth. And in a pattern that I think is straight out of a psychology text, his response is to accuse everybody else of lying. Yeah, he's really got it down. He accuses everybody on that debate stage of lying. And it's simply a mindless yell. Whatever he does, he accuses everyone else of. The man ca cannot tell the truth, but he combines it with being a narcissist. <laughs> a narcissist at a level I don't think this country's ever seen. Donald Trump is such a narcissist. That See, this is what really gets me insane right now. Wait, hold, just hold your horses. He couldn't let this tirade go by without giving a jab, jabbing at the Democrats. So he calls Barack Obama a narcissist. Barack Obama looks at him and goes, dude, what's your problem? You know, nobody laughed, though, because in order for something to be funny, there has to be an element of truth in it. So... Only in, I guess, Republican land? They think that's funny? Do they? Because is Barack Obama, come, is he a narcissist? Somebody who, because he knows what he's doing. He knows how to speak. He can spell. He puts two sentences together and sounds like an educated man, not like an imbecile. He doesn't, he's, he's capable of controlling himself. He doesn't go on Twitter every morning and have a, a, an internet version of a poopy diaper. Barack Obama looks at him and says, dude, what's your problem? Because he's a narcissist. Oh, <laughs> I get it, Ted Cruz. I see. 
not the dictator envy and con man with a fake university, three trophy fucking wives who cheated on his wife and had to pay off a porn star in installments because he's such a rich man. That guy, the one who can't let anything slide, the one who retweets the uh, accolades of imbeciles on the internet. You have to see Donald Trump's Twitter feed. I mean, you have to see it. You've seen it. But even before, if you go back in time, you can go back and look at his Twitter feed. He's a very sick man. This is a person, and I, I wish I had taken a screen grab, but there was, I noticed on his Twitter feed one time, there was, he had retweeted an, a person's tweet. Like somebody said, great job, Donald, you're my hero or whatever. And this person, uh, it, it was obviously some guy with like one follower, some, it's like somebody who, you know, is a nobody. And Donald Trump needs that validation so much that he thinks that we'll be impressed that some kook, some some old kook who lives in somebody's basement somewhere thinks that he's doing a great job. And it's not, oh, isn't that... Um, isn't that quaint? He's really a man of the people. No, he's not a man of the people. He is a narcissist. And he's trying to get us to agree with him. He, he cannot stand that anybody knows who the hell he is. That he doesn't, he can't abide the fact that we can see right through him. We know what a fraud he is. Instead of... You know, he's not, he's not man enough. He's not human enough to let that roll off his back. Anybody, you know, because you know why? It's because he believes it. He knows he's a fraud. That's why. I've had enough therapy. I get it. If he, like if somebody says to you, you only react to something if you think that it's true. Nobody can insult you without your permission. Do you know what I mean? So I have right-wingers attack me. They send me emails. They send me hate mail. I consider it a, 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 I don't consider it an insult. I, I enjoy it. I consider it a validation that I'm doing something right. But if somebody called me a name, you know, they usually call me, they'll call me the C word. They'll call me a dyke. They'll call me a bitch. They'll call me a commie, of course, right? It doesn't, I don't care. You know what I mean? I'm not like, you, how dare you apologize? You don't care if you, you, it's like somebody coming up to you and saying, you're a, uh, you purple giraffe. Okay. You're like, okay, moron, whatever. Uh, It's really about them, not about you. He only reacts because he knows it's true. He reacts to every slight, everybody who knows him. Because he knows he's a fraud. He knows it. He is a fraud. He has never been a successful businessman. He is not a successful businessman. He's not successful in any 
of his endeavors, any of them, including the presidency. Look at what he has done. There has never been a more, more, a, a more of a big, there, there's, I can't talk, I can't talk. There has never been a bigger failure than Donald Trump in the presidency. That's your mega, that's your make America great. By the time he's done, it's only 120,000 people dead in two months. He's just getting started, ladies and gentlemen. Two million with, with the coronavirus. 40 million out of work and counting. Millions being kicked off of health care before they went and attacked it even more. That's what happened. This is what... Donald Trump and the Republicans are bringing to this country. But they got 200 judges. You see? Because they hate democracy. They hate the grand experiment in liberal democracy. And they will not have us, the American people, getting anywhere near having a more perfect union. As we are in the streets and demanding that everyone have a seat at the table. When we say black lives matter, meaning all lives matter, you you dum-dums, not you. I'm talking to Ted Cruz's of the world. When that's too, that's too much. That's too much democracy. That is too much e pluribus unum. They can't handle it. So they want to burn this bitch down. They would rather have us all burn this goddamn country down then have a more perfect union. They can only handle democracy if, quote-unquote democracy, if that only means rich white men, period. When we start demanding a more perfect union that works for all, when we pledge our lives, fortunes, and sacred honor to each other, for real, and insist and demand that this democracy, that we have a functioning democracy, finally, and it work for all of us, finally, leaving no one behind. They can't handle that. They won't have it, you see? That's why they got to get out there and scream and pout and cry and pretend that they're doing it all for America while they're yelling and screaming freedom They don't want us anywhere near freedom. Are you kidding me? Freedom for them. Freedom for the 1%. That's always been the agenda of the American fascist right-wing party, the Republican Party. Well, not, well, since they sold out after, yeah, and I don't want, you know, you know, I saw this, uh, t- another video today I was watching, I should have grabbed it, because we could have talked about that one for an hour, some right-winger did a video going to the Lincoln Memorial, of course, you, you, they do all these videos, you see them on Jimmy Kimmel and such, going out into the street, man on the street type thing, yeah, remove Ted's face, <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm trying to eat, Darth says. Can you please remove Ted's face from the screen? I'm trying to eat. I know. I know. But so this guy was 
interviewing people, how stupid people are. They do it all the time. And they were at the Lincoln Memorial. It was obviously before the pandemic. And this right-winger was asking people, who, um, who's the 16th president? And people were like, I have no idea. I have no idea. You know, because everybody's an idiot. Of course, it's Lincoln. And they're saying, another question he asks, was Lincoln a Republican or a Democrat? And most of the people, and of course this is all selectively edited, and most of the people were like, he, um, Democrat? And they're like, trying to make the point, because these are right-wingers creating this video, and their agenda is to assume, because they, they have, they're very... They're not critical thinkers. They are low-effort thinkers, including those who created this video thinking they're so smart. They're trying to get the impression across that, oh, wow, people just assume it's Democrats because the Democrats aren't complete and utter Nazi-enabling fascists right now, you know, very fine people. Tiki Torch, they're not retweeting videos with old white crackers yelling white power. So it must be that Lincoln must have been a Democrat. But complex thought is, is really well out of the reach of right-wingers. And so they're trying to say, oh, see, look, Republicans, Democrats think that the, it's it's the Democrats are all for the people, people of color, quote unquote. But look, it was really Republicans who freed the slaves. So therefore, everybody, you must all be stupid, not knowing how truly of, by, and for the people, the Republican Party truly are. And that is such bullshit. Because if you got to go back to 1865 to find something that you did correctly, and that it, it let's let's go for real. First of all, Lincoln was not an abolitionist. He wasn't this great. Uh, they call him the great emancipator. He only signed the Emancipation Proclamation after he exhausted every other option. That was the last thing he wanted to do. He wanted, in fact, the South. He wanted to. He guaranteed, in fact, but the South, it's sort of like when Barack Obama put Social Security on the table. Lincoln gave the South a, um, a choice. He gave them, he tried to make a deal with the South. He said, you can keep your enslaved human beings until 1900 if you put down your arms now. And they didn't take him up on the offer. So sort of like when... Barack Obama put Social Security on the table, and John Boner said, no thanks, we have conspired on the night of your election in the caucus room restaurant here in Washington, D.C. to block every attempt to do anything, even if we had proposed it first, even if it's something that we've been dreaming of for generations we have decided that we will block you at every turn. So thank you, John Boner, for, in that sense, in that circumstance, the caucus room conspiracy. But 
I wonder what kind of a country we'd be living in if we had enslaved people until the year 19 effing hundred. Really? And so they tried, he tried to make a deal with the South to make them put down their arms if uh, they could keep their human property to 1900, 30 years in the future. So, and a lot can happen in 30 years. We might even still have enslaved human beings. It's hard to imagine, right, to live in this century, to be born. I was born in the 20th century to imagine. But when I was born, well, probably not. I guess, you know, there were, well, there weren't, I don't know, there probably weren't. I wonder when the last person who was enslaved died. Let's see. Last in the United States. Because slavery still exists. Ah, look. Look at that. Sylvester McGee. 19, she was, let me see, is this Sylvester? Wait, 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 wait. That's a man, not a woman. What am I talking about? Sylvester McGee claimed, of course, not, they can't be 100% sure, born in 1841, died in 1971, was purported to be the last living former American slave. 1971. He received much publicity and was accepted for treatment by the Mississippi Veterans Hospi- Hospital of, as a veteran of the American Civil War. That's incredible. McGee claimed to have been born in North Carolina in 1841 to slaves Ephron and Jeanette. See, they never had last names. Very rarely. You just, like a dog, you know, like, or a cat. It's your property. Like I call, well, I, I think, I think it's kind of funny. I get letters from the vet that say, Tara Jr. Jr. Devlin. And Francis Jr. Jr. Devlin, but. But that's the infantilization of other human beings. So, let's see. Uh, Purported to be the last former American slave, he received much publicity and was accepted for treatment by the Mississippi Veterans Hospital as a veteran of the American Civil War. McGee, if this claim were true, though they don't know because this person didn't have documents. They didn't have a birth certificate. McGee would also have been the last surviving American Civil War veteran. McGee claimed to have been born in North Carolina in 1841 to slaves Ephron and Jeanette, who were held and worked on the J.D. Slank's plantation. He said that he was purchased at the age of 19, just before the American Civil War, by plantation owner Hugh McGee. So that's where he gets his last name. Nice, right? At a slave market in Enterprise, Mississippi. 
Hugh McGee owned a Lone Star Plantation in Covington County, Mississippi. Sylvester adopted the McGee surname, a common practice among enslaved people at the time. Shortly afterward, he was sold again to Victor Steen. McGee claimed that in 19, wait, in 1863, he ran away from the Steen Plantation and enlisted in the Union Army, taking part in the assault on Vicksburg. Mississippi. McGee claimed to have been forced to serve in both the Confederate and Union armies as a servant and a laborer. No documentary evidence have been found. Oh, well, I thought that the enslaved people, enslaved people were, they fought willingly for the Confederacy. They were like, yes, we want to remain property. We don't want any last names. Well, we, oh, this is another thing. This country is so fucked up. People are fucked up. One of, and, and, and also, this also proves my point about the um, importance of what we do here on the show and the importance of having a, a liberal media. What, what, there is one novel in the United States that is basically one of the novels credited with um, starting the Civil War, and that is Uncle Tom's Cabin. And it's sort of like the same way, and I mean, it's it's different and a different kind of uh, inhumanity. But the book, The Jungle, when you're th- is credited with changing people's minds about factory farming and abuse on, of animals on factory farms, but which we certainly have a long way to go there. Anyway, <laughs> this is how fucked up, th- and also how we know how uh, important it is to have a liberal media and how important media truly is in, uh, in progress, but after Uncle Tom's Cabin, it was such a successful book that opened people's eyes to the ugliness of slavery and to the wrong. Because that's what, you know, they used the goddamn Bible to justify keeping people enslaved. Of course they did, right in the Bible. We've read it, you've read it. I went to goddamn CCD instruction, and it says right there, slaves... Be good to your master, right? How does he say? Slaves. Let's see what the Bible says about slavery. What the Bible says about slavery. Christian slaveholders use the Bible to justify slavery. And that's what they would do. They would make them read. They would make them study the Bible. They had preachers. Some enslaved people were preachers and they would go around from plantation to plantation preaching this the uh, obedience that your reward will come in heaven and then of course there were some working undercover who would go from plantation to plantation and start planting the seed of resistance And that's why you know, it's so important. And that's why they know. They knew 
years ago, what did Roger Ailes, he went to Nixon, and they proposed what he called GOP TV. It is now known as Fox News. They would never have gotten a foothold in this country and been able to do what they have done to this country and drag us down to what we are now, an effective oligarchy. Not even, are we in effect? That's the wrong way to put it. We are effectively an oligarchy. We're not a functioning democracy. It's about time we really spread that as well. I know we talk about it, but you don't hear that. You don't hear that on any corporate media. When we are living in such a wide income disparity, when upward immobility is worse than it was in, uh, in, in my lifetime since the first Gilded Age, we are the least upwardly mobile nation of all our Western partners. And it only took 40 years to get there. So that's not a democracy. But and when and uh, Uncle Tom's cabin, I almost said Aunt Gloria. <laughs> Aunt Gloria's cabin. <laughs> if you watched the show last night, and she he needs to write a, a Aunt Gloria's cabin. <laughs> anti. What did they, what did they call? They called them like anti. Anti Tom literature. They had, of course, because conservatives, they never had an original thought in their head. So when Uncle Tom's Cabin was such a hit and it was opening people's eyes to the, the, uh, the disgusting institution of slavery, they had to get busy writing their alternative facts, anti-Tom literature. Here's... Well, according, well, Wikipedia is not the most reliable source, but these are pro-slavery novels and other literary works written in response to Harriet Beecher Stowe's Uncle Tom's Cabin, also called plantation literature. These writings were generally written written from authors, uh, from uh, by authors. Why can't I talk? I'm very untalkable tonight. I cannot talk tonight. Authors from southern United States. Oh, what a surprise. Books in the genre attempted to show either that slavery was beneficial to African Americans or that the evils of slavery as depicted in Stowe's book were overblown. Of course, it's a bunch of fake news. And in these anti-Uncle Tom Cabin literature, it's... The, all the slaves were happy and joyous and they were grateful for being enslaved. It gave them something to do. So first published, Uncle Tom's Cabin was first published in serialized form from 1851 to 1852 in the Abolitionist Journal called The National Era, and in book form in 1852. Uncle Tom's Cabin by Harriet Beecher Stowe quickly became the best-selling novel of the 19th century and the second best-selling book of the century after the Bible. 
and then after order the deal. It's just a special book, the order of the deal and the Bible. It's just so special, so special. I don't have a favorite passage. Both. I, I love both the old and the new equally. I love them both. This abolitionist novel f focused on the evils of slavery and was inspired by the passage of the Fugitive Slave Act two years before and punished those who aided runaway slaves. The book was highly controversial and fanned the debate over slavery. Yes. Well, after the Fugitive Slave Act was passed, that was when, in fact, after the Fugitive Slave Act and before the South fired on Fort Sumter. This is when Lincoln was trying to come up with all his deals. To uh, he First, they wanted to get black people out of the country. He wanted to move them. He wanted them all to emigrate. That was the first the great emancipator came up with. Where did he want them to go? Let's see. Abe... I can't remember. I'm thinking Madagascar because that's where Hitler initially, it wasn't Hitler, but they wanted to send the Jewish people. So it was uh, Heinrich, oh God, all these names, Heinrich, what's the third guy in the Fourth Reich? He was not Himmler. It was Heinrich, the guy that got assassinated by Czechoslovakian resistance. Not Himmler. Rein oh, Reinhardt Heydrich. Yes. Okay. He came up with the plan to send Jews to Madagascar. And then when that didn't work, they came up with the final solution, which they entitled the Reinhardt Plan, I, I believe, after Heydrich was assassinated, to honor him for all his efforts in genocide, you know, making Germany great. But Abe Lincoln had a similar plan. He wanted to send black people to, I'm not sure where. Let me see. Abe Lincoln wanted to move, to emigrate. Ah. Yeah, let's see. Remember the time Abe Lincoln tried to get slaves to leave America? No, you don't, but it happened... Well into his presidency. Abraham Lincoln, blah, 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 blah. Lincoln, I'm trying to find the, yeah, because it's in this article from the Pacific Standard. Um, it makes mention of Steven Spielberg's movie about Lincoln. How... He's going, no, no, no. We must do it now. It's far more uh, complicated than that. He was not a great emancipator. It's really kind of an insult to all of us how 
how history, how they, we've been infantilized by power. If we, can you imagine what a different world it would be if we would, they, we just knew and accepted our true history. Not like infants, not like everybody is black or white, so to speak, or there's uh, good and bad. There's all kinds of shades of gray in between. And good people do bad things sometimes, and bad people do good things sometimes. So, now Abe Lincoln never told a lie, uh, but he also hounded one of his human property to the ends of the earth when she escaped him. She had the, the gall. He treated her so well. So, let's see. I'm sure you uncovered a nuanced and complicated story, which you detail in your book, Colonization After Emancipation, Lincoln and the Movement for Black Resettlement. Well, it is the antithesis of Steven Spielberg's portrait in many respects. The storybook version is, from roughly 1861 onward, Lincoln was involved in some very serious policy discussions about what a post-slavery United States would look like. And one of his solutions was uh, that he offered drawing on something that had long been a part of, of his political advocacy was to colonize the slaves abroad. Historically, the most famous example of this is Liberia, which was founded in 1816. And over the course of the next 50 or 60 years, several thousand former slaves migrated to Liberia and colonized it. Lincoln liked this model but wanted to expand it, and he was willing to look into Central and South America and across the Caribbean. He pursued this policy for a better part of his entire presidency, secured funding from Congress in 1862, and carried out in conjunction with the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863. I guess that was his backup plan. Previously, there was a fairly strong historical consensus that he had abandoned this idea. Some people even argued that he did it as an intentional policy ruse to distract the public from his true emancipation policy. Well, that's pretty generous. Frederick Douglass says that the president of the United States had become an internet colonization preacher who had made himself look ridiculous by pitching this idea and that we should leave the nation of our birth. It was then, actually, that Frederick Douglass said, F this, I'm out of here. And in fact, the day he was leaving to go to Canada is when the South fired on Fort Sumter and he decided to stay. <sighs> Unreal. Because he was like, we're done here. These, mo these monsters, we're not... We're never getting through to them. And I'm not going to be dragged back to the South in, in, in chains. Because that's what they did, the Fugitive Slave Act. Meaning that anybody, they could, you could be walking around up in the North, born in, as your own person, and somebody drags you down to the South and makes you their property. It's disgusting.
And that's our true history. No wonder everyone's an ignoramus because you don't hear the real history. And then when you hear it, you're like, holy shit, that's too much. Why don't they teach this at all? I didn't learn this as a child. I'm sure you didn't either. And it's really a disgrace to all of us. We should know, we should all know better. We should all expect better of each other. How do you grow? You know, how do you continue to evolve if you think that you, you can't teach your children the true history of what it means to be an American, what we have overcome, all of us? You don't uh, just lionize some people and vilify other people. Yeah, some deserve vilification, but what is this? Lincoln, now there's a giant statue to him. I remember being a kid going to Washington on a school trip. I, re- I have a memory of standing in front of the Lincoln Memorial. I know you probably, many people have the same memory as a child, looking up at that giant marble sculpture of this huge man sitting in a chair and marveling. And what is this? Who is this? Who is Lincoln? He freed the slaves. Oh, what an amazing person. That's all I knew. What's a slave? Free? And then what? It's like that Melania story that she read. On the night of Juneteenth, we are now free. We, we ate as free people. We danced as free people. They were like, eh, see ya. Don't want, and you wouldn't want to be ya. They gave them nothing. It's like, all right, uh, you're free. Bye. Forget that you have lived your life here and you've worked here and, eh, we get, you get nothing, though. Nothing. It's ridiculous. Okay, let's see. Lincoln gets involved. He expands the colonization sphere to the Caribbean. He sees this, at least in part, as an American imperial opportunity to expand our region and influence to the Caribbean trading zones. Well, it's a twofer. In fact, there's one notorious colonization speech he gives to a black delegation where he says, I want you to go to Panama and form the highway between the oceans that we have been waiting for. Essentially, the Panama Canal. Did any of this colonization effort actually come to fruition? One of them actually did. In addition to Liberia, Lincoln signed a contract with the proprietor of an island off the coast of Haiti, the Ila Ilavechi was a small and uninhabited island just off the southern coast of Haiti, part of Haiti's possessions and territory. The contractor, a former merchant, had been in Haiti and secured a paper from the Haitian government giving him ownership of the island. On December 31st, 1862, the evening before the issues Before he issues the the Emancipation Proclamation, Lincoln met with this contractor and they drafted terms to get federal subsidized transit and supplies to move 5,000 colonists to this island. 
There are a multitude of problems that hit this expedition. First, an epidemic of smallpox breaks out aboard the ship. The infected settlers were placed in quarantine. They didn't have enough supplies. And while they were waiting a second supply ship that was supposed to bring food, medicine, and workers during the course of the intervening months, a dispute breaks out between the proprietor of the island and the financiers back in New York. And as a result, the second ship never comes. And, in fact, they cancel the remaining ventures. So the 500 are left on the island, and the contractor Lincoln made the agreement with had certain despotic tendencies. He decides, as any good autocrat does, to confiscate all the money of the former slaves. Unbelievable. And exchange it for paper currency that he had issued on his own, and he declares that he's only going to accept his own currency as payment. He refuses to build sufficient dwellings, food stocks, or anything that would be that people would need to sustain a colony. After, I mean, it just sounds like a horrific, giant clusterfuck, in other words. After several months with smallpox still raging, the proprietor is driven off the island by force of arms. The result in New York investors coming in try to rescue the situation. But the first wave of crops failed. So it's a succession of disasters. By late 1863, the colony is abandoned. Several of the colonists flee to the mainland of Haiti. Blah, blah, blah. Is there any account on how many freed slaves were supposed to take part in the colonization? It was 5,000 a year over 10 years. That was the plan. Panama was a one-time venture. It's really insane. Nobody knows this. You don't learn this in school. You just learn, oh, and then he made the Emancipation Proclamation, and they were all happy and had a party. They had a big party. Oh, and then Lincoln was shot. Anyway, I don't know how I got on that. Let's go back to, let's finish what Ted Cruz is saying, by the way. Why not? Trump alleges that my dad was involved in assassinating JFK. Now, let's be clear. This is nuts. This is not a reasonable position. This is just kooky. And while I'm at it, I guess I should go ahead and admit, yes, my dad killed JFK. He is secretly Elvis, and, J and Jimmy Hoffa is buried in his backyard. You know, Donald's source for this is the National Enquirer. <laughs> the National Enquirer is tabloid trash, but it's run by his good friend, David Pecker, the CEO, who's endorsed Donald. And so the National Enquirer has become his hit that he uses to smear anybody and everybody. And this is not the first time Donald Trump has used David Pecker's National Enquirer to go after my family. It was also the National Enquirer that went after my wife, Heidi that just spread lies, blatant lies. But I guess Donald was lies. a couple of weeks ago, the Inquirer wrote this idiotic story about JFK. And Donald was dismayed that, that the folks in the media weren't repeating this latest idiocy, so he figured he'd have to do it himself. He'd have to go on national television 
and accuse my dad of that. Listen, my father has been my hero. My, my dad was imprisoned and tortured in Cuba. And when he came to America, he had nothing. He had $100 in his underwear. He washed dishes making Gross. 50 cents an hour. You know, he's exactly the kind of person Donald Trump looks down on. I'm going to do something I haven't done for the entire campaign, for those of y'all who have traveled with me all across the country. I'm going to tell you what I really think of Donald Trump. <laughs> this for now. This is a pathological lie. He doesn't know the difference between truth and lies. He lies practically every word that comes out of his mouth. Yeah. What's and changed? In a pattern that I think is straight out of a psychology text. His response is to accuse everybody else of lying. He accuses everybody on that debate stage of lying. And it's simply a mindless yell. Whatever he does, he accuses everyone else of lying. The yeah. man ca cannot tell the truth, but he combines it with being a narcissist. A narcissist at a level I don't think this country's ever seen. Oh, my God. Except for Barack Donald Obama. Donald Trump is such right. a narcissist that oh. Barack Obama looks at him and goes, Dude, what's your problem? <laughs> Everything in Donald is about him. And he combines being a pathological liar. And I say pathological because I actually think, Donald, if you hooked him up to a lie detector test, he could say one thing in the morning, one thing at noon, and one thing in the evening, all contradictory, and he'd pass the lie detector test each time. Whatever lie he's telling, at that minute, he believes it. But the man is utterly a... No, let, let, let me finish this. <laughs> the man is utterly amoral. It, morality does not exist. Yeah. It's why he went after Heidi directly and Look at smeared this. my wife, attacked her. Apparently, she's not pretty enough for Donald Trump. How dare you? And look at her looking at him. Could you imagine being married to somebody that says that? Apparently, you're not pretty enough for him. And she's just staring at him with that blank, vacant, thousand-mile stare. What is wrong with Republicans? Do, do any of them have any dignity? I don't get it. They sell each other out. They throw each other under the bus. I guess it all comes down to the unholy dollar. Why are you staring at your husband like that? He just said that another man called you ugly. And you, you're looking at him like that? Why do you allow him to crawl on top of you, Heidi? Ted Cruz, yuck. Could you imagine somebody that looks at Ted Cruz and says, yes, I do. Ugh. Through sickness and through health. I suppose they mean mental sickness as well because they're both goddamn sick. They're certainly making this goddamn body politics sick enough. I may be biased, but I think if he's making that allegation, he's also legally blind. Oh, thank you. <laughs> he's also legally blind. <laughs> oh, 
You mean she's not, you don't think she's ugly? Wait. I think if he's making that allegation, he's also legally blind. <laughs> you know, we just visited with fifth grade. Every one of us knew bullies in elementary. Bullies don't come from strength. Bullies come from weakness. Yeah. Bullies come from a deep, yawning cavern of insecurity. There is a reason Donald builds giant buildings and puts his name on them everywhere he goes. So what's changed? And I will say, there are millions of people in this country who are angry. They're angry at Washington. They're angry at politicians who've lied to them. I understand that anger. I share that anger. And Donald is cynically exploiting that anger. And he is lying to his supporters. And God bless President Donald Trump. Gee, what a difference a couple of days make. President Donald Trump. And God bless President Donald Trump. <laughs> He is lying to his supporters. And God bless President Donald Trump. <laughs> These fucking Republicans. If they had any integrity, I, I mean, they might be corporate dams. No, no, no. Let's go back to whatever. So I was talking about Ted Cruz. Why? Why did I bring him up? Oh, just to point out how irredeemable Republicans are. Let's, I, I also want to play this other video before I, because I want to get into Joe Biden and The View and Jill Biden on The View. So this is a video that was put together by Vox. Oh, I don't know if I'll play the whole thing because I might end up getting a copyright strike. And so I don't want to do that. You know how it goes. And I don't want them shutting me down in the middle of us having a show. So, but this is a Vox video basically explaining how, no, it's not both sides. The Republicans have gone off the rails, and it kind of, it succinctly lays it out. Chart for understanding American politics. It shows the ideology of both parties in Congress over the past few decades. Researchers looked at every politician's voting record and then gave them a score based on how extreme or moderate they were. And if you look at the past 40 years, something dramatic has happened. Both parties have moved away from the center, but Republicans in Congress have moved much further than Democrats have. That difference is even more jarring if you look at the past few presidents. Republican presidents have become more and more conservative over the past few decades, while Democrats have stayed fairly consistent. Political scientists have a name for this. They call it asymmetrical polarization. It's one of the most important trends in recent American politics, but it's also one of the hardest to talk about. And that's posing a big challenge for journalists who want to stay neutral while covering a party that's increasingly going off the rails. 
This is not the Republican Party that any of us recognize. This is not the Republican Party I joined 40 years ago. What happened to the Republican Party? Oh, I've been asking myself that question. It's soul-crushing for me. Let's just address the soy boy in the room. I am not a great person to be making this argument. I'm a queer, tree-hugging atheist with immigrant parents. Me criticizing Republicans is about as shocking as Vox having marimbas in the background. All right, whatever. Let's just forward this. In all the years that I wrote about Congress, I was very, very careful to be not a partisan. But if you look at the titles of Ornstein's books, you can see a quiet transformation happening. It starts off normal enough. Congress and Change, Evolution and Reform, Campaign Finance, An Illustrated Guide. Then it gets a little darker. The Permanent Campaign and Its Future, The Broken Branch, How Congress is Failing America. And then, in 2012, Ornstein and his writing partner Thomas Mann write this book. It's even worse than it looks how the American constitutional system collided with the new politics of extremism. In it, they write, the Republican Party is an insurgent outlier. It has become ideologically extreme, scornful of compromise, and dismissive of the legitimacy of its political opposition. The Democratic Party, while no paragon of civic virtue, is more open to incremental changes, fashioned through bargaining with the Republicans. This asymmetry constitutes a huge obstacle to effective governance. Holy sh**. A man and I came to the conclusion that we couldn't sugarcoat this anymore. The fact is that Congress changed. Ornstein's critique of the modern GOP falls into two major categories, their goals and their methods. There's no question that the Republican Party's goals have become more extreme over the past few years. In 2006, George Bush was talking about immigration like this. There is a rational middle ground between granting an automatic path to citizenship and a program of mass deportation. Compare that to Donald Trump. Force? You're going to have a deportation force. In 1970, the <laughs> Republican president created the Environmental Protection Agency to regulate pollution. These problems will not stand still for politics or for partisanship. Now, Republicans campaign on abolishing that same agency. We are going to end the EPA intrusion into your lives. All right, I'm just going to forward this a little bit. And we'll get to some of the more egregious Republican examples. Election. Instead, Mitch McConnell came out and said, Our top political priority over the next two years should be to deny President Obama a Cool beans. And it wasn't just McConnell. In a private meeting before Obama's inauguration, leading Republicans reportedly agreed, if you act like you're the minority, you're going to stay in the minority. We've got to challenge them on every single bill and challenge them on every single campaign. And they did. In 2011, Republicans held the debt ceiling hostage, threatening to let the country default if the Democratic majority didn't agree to major cuts in Medicare and Social Security. As long as this president is in the Oval Office, a real solution is probably unattainable. In 2013, they actually shut the government down, trying to force Obama to defund Obamacare. That was a remarkable victory to see the House engage in a profile in courage. And a lot of the destruction wasn't even ideological. Some of it was no for the sake of no. In 2016, Republicans <laughs> rejected Obama's budget before they even saw what was Yep. There. And then, of course, there's Merrick Garland. Republicans flat out refused to meet with Obama's Supreme Court nominee for months. Not because he was too liberal, Garland was objectively a centrist, but because they wanted a Republican to fill the seat. We don't intend to take up a nominee. You ever watch someone's soul wither away mid-sentence? The thing is, if Hillary He's had got no the soul. election, many Republicans said they would have kept the seat open permanently. Preferring to have Remember an that? incomplete Supreme Court than let a Democrat appoint a justice. That is not normal behavior by party leaders, and it is a reflection of a strategy designed to divide Americans and use your leverage to hold power even if you are not a majority in the There country. you go. Regardless have, of how you feel about tax cuts or Obama. Haven't I been saying that? 
Let's just re let him repeat that. A Democrat appoint a justice. That is not normal behavior by party leaders, and it is a reflection of a strategy designed to divide Americans and use your leverage to hold power even if you are not a majority in the country. Regardless of how you're... Exactly. Hold power even if you are not a majority. They're not looking for a majority. They don't care. Just like the intergenerational aristocracy doesn't need a majority of people on their side. They just need the majority to shut the F up and get back in the fields and work and toil and await their rewards in heaven. And don't pester your betters. That's what Republicans are doing. That's why, even though Trump has, he's squatting in the White House despite receiving fewer votes, and the Republican Party, in general, is a minority party. They represent a minority of the population. They get a minority of the votes. Their so-called president has received a min minority of votes and squats in the White House despite winning, quote-unquote, with the slightest electoral college victory in recent memory— I don't know what the exact, it's many, many years. I don't know. I should look it up and know it off the top of my head. But it's, well, while I'm saying it, let's see. Trump's electoral, because he says, oh, it's so hard for a Republican to win the Electoral College. That's bullshit. In fact, it's set up for conservatives to win. And it's not, oh, it's a landslide, the largest landslide, the largest electoral college win. No, no, nope. That's why we have to know history and we have to embed the common knowledge of history in, in each other and in our youth. And this is why they, Republicans, the corporate Democrats, the corporate media, never put anything in historical context because this makes you a critical thinker and you see the forest through the trees and you believe any bullshit lie that is just placed right in front of you. And it is the, I mean, that's the role of a corporate media. Let's see, Electoral College victory... Electoral College. I'm trying to think how I should look it up to get the, the answer. Trump won the presidency with a razor, razor thin margin. Trump landslide? Nope. Despite Donald Trump, this is from factcheck.org by Robert Farley. Despite Donald Trump and his campaign manager describing his election victory as a landslide, Trump's margin of victory actually ranks among the closest in, uh, in the Electoral College. With the Michigan election results now certified, Trump expanded his Electoral College victory over Hillary Clinton to, from, uh, to 203. Wait, wait, wait. Sorry. Hillary Clinton is the victory was 306 to 232. 
that's a convincing victory for sure, but it hasn't stopped Trump from embellishing the victory. On November 27th, Trump tweeted that in addition to winning the Electoral College in a landslide, he also won the popular vote if you deduct the millions of people who voted illegally. We found no basis for Trump's claim about millions of people who voted illegally and whether that swung the popular vote in favor of Clinton, who currently leads the popular vote by more than 2 million votes, and by the end, she won by more than 3 million votes. But what about the claim of a landslide victory? In addition to, well, this is Trump's tweet. Well, I won't read it because he says, in addition to winning the Electoral College in a landslide, yes, I just... I read it anyway. Blah, blah, blah. The following day, Kellyanne Conway, Trump's former campaign manager and now a senior advisor to the president-elect, used similar language, landslide, to characterize the 306 electoral votes won by Trump. Kellyanne Conway's tweet, I'll show you my screen. Uh, Can you see it? Oops, wrong button. Now I'm in the way. Boom. Move over. Where am I? Now I lost it. Okay. Landslide. Blowout. Historic. Fuck you. <laughs> Seriously. This is another thing that pisses H- Historic. What's so fucking historic? A white, bloated unfit sexual predator with a dictator with dictator envy and a and uh, a fake university squats in the white house despite receiving fewer votes fucking historic oh i feel the history the the weight of history well wait till history gets a hold of you kellyanne conway You ain't going to sound good in the light of history. You're not going to look good. You won't age well in history's verdict. Trust me. I know a little something about history. Not that I'm a historian. I wish I was. I wish I was many things. I love history. I wish I could be like in the Matrix where you could just go, and you know history, you know everything, you know how to fly a helicopter, you know jujitsu, you know kung fu. <clears throat> There's not enough time in life to do all those cool things. I wish I knew. That's why I don't understand Republicans, too. I really don't. How they go on the Internet. I mean, I could go on the Internet. You can get lost for days, And I'm not just going and looking at cat videos, although that happens too. But there's so much to learn. You can learn everything. You can read historical novels. You can read classics of literature for nothing. I mean, there are many classics in the public domain after many years. You you can read Julius Caesar's, his writings from, uh, from Britannia. It's, and you transported back in time. And of all of the windows into history and into the human heart that you, can, you could explore, Trump and Z, what do they do? 
They go on QAnon. They come up with reasons not to wear a mask in the middle of a pandemic. They go on Twitter and call me the C-word or a dyke or something. They have a window to the whole world. They can learn. They can see what idiots they are. If That's why I have faith in the future, too. Well, I have faith in youth. It gives me hope that the youth of this country are the most progressive. This coming up generation is the most progressive generation in recent memory. And I think these kids, because they grew up with the Internet, they understand that Republicans are a bunch of filthy, disgusting liars. So when Republicans say that universal health care is the path to uh, Nazism, the youth are like, hell no. Everybody has universal health care except me and my mom. My mom is stressing out because I have diabetes and she's on the phone with the insurance company fighting with them so I don't die. Unlike my pal that I FaceTime with, and he lives in Norway, and my pen pal, whatever the hell, whatever they call them nowadays, all you got to do is pick up the your pick up your phone, and you could you have a connection to anyone on Earth, any country, and these morons, they are so small. I feel bad for them, really. Their whole world, so tiny. All they want to do is be all by all themselves, just the same. Everybody the same. Everybody looking like a bunch of idiots dancing at a maggot rally with a stupid red hat and an ugly red, white, and blue fashion abortion. It's it's a joke. They can at least, you know, use the Internet. Do something. Contribute to the world. That's the Republican way, though. They don't want to be pestered with contributing anything. And sometimes when I get into arguments with them, I say, don't worry. No one expects you to do anything to, for anybody else. We wouldn't pester you with giving a shit about anybody else but yourself. You know, that patriotism, that's for liberals, normal people. People who are capable of functioning in a democracy. Republicans, the search for the, for the superior moral justification for selfishness. That's the Republican way. They have no idea what it means to be an American, much less be a human Everything's so scary to them. Anybody different? Oh, that's so scary. We have to write a law. Oh, you don't want to have a contract? You don't want to form a life with somebody of a different peepee? We better make a law because my giant cloud spook says, who, un, who coincidentally, weirdly enough, is just a gigantic version of my own bigoted tiny self. My giant cloud spook, who knows 
the his- the mysteries of the universe. He he created the universe, and of course, it's a he. It has an XY chromosome for some reason, and it has a penis. I don't know why. But it knows, it counts the hairs on your head. It knows every hair on my head. And oh, it knows the histories of the, the mysteries of the universe. But it is overly concerned about who is forming a legal marriage contract with their peepees. What is going on with the peepees? What is your peepee doing? Is your peepee appropriately attired? Does it have the right clothes on for the peepee? Is the peepee forming a marriage contract with somebody else of the same peepee, with another peepee that is the same? That's a, no, no. This giant cloud being who is a man for some reason. I don't know what. He's a giant man? That's kind of weird. Why is he always a giant man? That looks like them. There's, have you seen them? They're not that impressive. No wonder they have a giant asshole as a, as a god. What a tiny god they have. You would think, you know, a god that knows everything. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows the mysteries of the universe. He knows time immemorial. But he is... He wants to make sure you do not touch yourself. Don't masturbate. He created the heaven, the earth, the fish, the insects, the coronavirus, the birds, the whales. The uh, He created it all. Air, microbes, the sun, the moon, the universes. The Omega system, the Big Bang, the Milky Way. But do not masturbate. (laughs) It's fucking stupid. And make sure, oh my God, make sure your pee-pee is appropriately attired. And if you are out one day and you're shopping, you better make sure that your pee-pee goes to the right bathroom. Well, right, meaning what they think is right. It's unbelievable where we live. This this humanity is so stupid. That's why I probably have a tension headache. I'm thinking, my God, why? Jesus Christ. Marissa... I was trying to find this one thing here. So many. Oh, yeah. These are, you know, God created the heaven, the earth, the universe in his image, as you can tell. That's God. God made that. He made us in his image. Yeah. 
That's God. He made He made them in our in He made humans in that image. As you can tell. But anyway, so I was the reason I brought up Ted Cruz and all of the him going back in time, talking about the filthy, disgusting Republicans and reminding everyone, not that you really need reminding, but how Republicans have broken politics. They, they're the ground zero. They are. They're really, yes, Democrats are better. They're not as insane. You know why? Because inherently, if you're a Democrat, you're you're inherently capable of functioning in a democracy. That's why I always say that I'm not, I don't do the show to reach out to Republicans. I have no interest in reaching out to them. They're a lost cause. They're like the Southern assholes who rose up to, so the rich can own other human beings. They're, they're the lost cause. They're still fighting that fucking battle. They're stupid statues, always clinging to the symbols of America because they have no capacity to understand the substance. That's why they're always about the flag. Oh, in fact, and this kind of uh, fits together too because, you know, Megan McCain, she's a Republican. She's somebody who gets on my nerves beyond belief. And... Because she represents everything that sucks about this country. And she's stupid. Has a giant platform. She's an idiot. She's a trust fund baby. She's, you know, a nepotism baby. She's a moron. Gets paid millions of dollars to spread her moronity. And she, I don't know. Because I follow her on Twitter. I don't, do I follow? I must follow her because I get her tweets. And she tweeted out, there's a guy, I don't know, I can't find it. It's on her Twitter feed, who was walking by, unless she retweeted it or whatever. Some old man was walking down the street. You might have seen this. And he stops. There's a flag. And he raises his hand very shakily to salute the flag. And then he continues walking. And... Megan tweets at, oh, my heart. You know, they love emojis, too. Heart, 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 heart. American flag, American flag, American flag. And, you know, I'm not really impressed. Okay, that's very sweet, I suppose, as an old guy. But there you go again, Republicans. She doesn't understand what it means. What, what does the flag mean? It's just salute the flag. What are we saluting? How about you have the ability to, I don't know, explain what, it, what the substance of America is and stop hiding behind the symbols. Really. I think we're putting the cart before the horse, goddammit saluting the flag. Are we North Koreans? Are we Nazis? That's another thing. We have to be really overly careful about this incessant nationalism. And you know what? And I don't want to get off. I mean, we're all, this is like a tangent anyway. But 
we know um, it doesn't matter. You guys are used to it. The 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 video that Twitter tweeted out of that old guy at the villages saying white power. You saw that, right? The and first of all, I really enjoyed that video, not for the white power part, but because I like those other people. Good for them. You know? Those um the uh, that lady when all of the car- carts were walk were going by and she's going fuck you, fuck you too. <laughs> I was like, "Right on, lady. I want to interview that lady." I'm not sure if everybody saw it, so just in case you didn't see it, I'm going to try to find it. Let's see. White power. How come I can't find it? It was so easy to find. Oh, here we go. That's just an edited version. Where's the whole thing? Oh, here we go. It's the guy right in the front. He didn't see it. This lady. <laughs> Good for you, lady. Good for you, lady. That's great. Anyway, the point is, this guy, he, he, of course, Twitler retweeted it. He doesn't know what white power, he thinks that's a good thing. What's the difference between him saying, now, okay, let me rewind it a little, because you know that he, he tweeted that out. He saw and heard what that guy said. It was clear. White power, white power. Yes, of course, he likes that. What is the difference between him saying, you know in his mind, if they challenged him on, uh, excuse me, Twitter, you know, you tweeted out something where a guy was going, white power, white power, and he probably, he did, because he's such an ignoramus, does not understand... He doesn't see what's wrong with saying white power. His, after all, his Trumpanzee Nuremberg dupes, they say white power, white power, and he agrees. Like the same way, he says, I'm a nationalist. Remember? Trump's, oh, this is something that goes out of fashion. I don't really understand. No, it has, it's fallen out of fashion these days to say I'm a nationalist. And I don't understand now. But you know what, everyone? I'm a nationalist. You know, they have a word. It sort of became old-fashioned. It's called a nationalist. And I say, really, we're not supposed to use that word. You know what I am? I'm a nationalist, okay? I'm a nationalist. 
You're a fucking Nazi. That's what that means. I'm a nationalist. Go back in time. Go back to the greatest generation. You know how they all love the greatest generation. That the greatest generation who were socialists, who voted for FDR's New Deal and four landslide elections, the socialists who disrupted, you know, the Antifas, who disrupted that large gathering of white supremacists known as the Nazi Party. So, yeah, uh, go back in time and say to the greatest generation, you're a nationalist, and watch them smack you in the fucking face. Because that is another term for fascist. And fascist is another term for Nazi. I have a hair on the mic. So, so, the hell? So, Trump, what? Because he is such an epic ignoramus. Of course, when he is watching the video, white power, white power, you know. He probably thought to himself, of course, white power. This will really trigger the libs. But there's nothing wrong with saying white power. I mean, they say black lives matter. So why shouldn't I say white power? You know, we're all uh, America first, and they want to be China first or Germany first or England first. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Just like I'm a nationalist. We should all be nationalists for our own nation. This is what he thinks. You know that's the truth. That's why he tweeted it out. Of course, he's a fucking epic ignoramus, and he doesn't understand. He has no, because he is a product of the ignorant system, of having everything handed to him. He's never had to work a day in his life. He's never had to study for a test. He's never had to pass a test. He has had everything handed to him. He's never read a book. So, of course, he doesn't understand that that white power is uh, is synonymous with Nazis, the KKK, fucking uh, all of the ugliness of this country. And you know I'm 100% correct, and nobody challenges him on this, like the press. They ask, why did you delete it? Oh, I didn't hear it. Well, what do you think white power means? Do you believe in that? Of co- but if they caught him at the right time before his staff got to him and said, sir, sir. Well, you know, when he tells a story and he says, they, you know he's full of shit. The generals come to him and say, sir, sir. They always got to call him sir. Who? Because he has to let everybody know that he is somebody who is being respected. Because he gets how, how not worthy of respect he actually is. He knows deep inside what a dirtbag he is. So he tweeted out white power. Oh, he didn't hear it? Of course he heard it. He thought it was fine. He thought it would trigger the libs. Hearing white power, oh, this is really going to get them, and it's really going to activate my base. You know, my Nazis, my KKK, my David Dukes, my white power. Who's got that market cornered? 
That's why anybody who votes for Trump, I don't give a shit. I don't understand how he has anybody voting for him. But if it's your mama, your nice neighbor, your cousin, your baby sister, your auntie, I don't care. Anybody who votes for Twitler is a goddamn disgrace to this country. Deservedly so. And they deserve our scorn. Because one day, they will feel the shame. Trust me, I tell you, just like the good Germans, they all cheered for Hitler. Not all of them, but one day, those on the right side of history and humanity knew. As, as history evolved, those who supported Hitler, they only speak of it in shamed whispers. The same thing with Twitler. You mark these words. I don't care. Anybody who votes for him, I can't believe anybody's going to vote. And so this is what gets me insane about the Democratic Party and what brings me around to really what we wanted to talk about. Why, when I heard Joe Biden today going on about how he wants to reach across the aisle again, here we go again. This is how you heal this country. No, mother effer. You don't heal the country by making a bridge to fascists, to America-hating, goddamn uh, destroyers of the American dream, of the middle class, of people who ripped this country apart and put a goddamn con man as a standard bearer. The same people who said to a legally elected president and, all, and the millions of people who put him into office twice in two landslide elections, who received the most votes in two landslide elections, including the Electoral College, who said to that president, Mr. President, you will not seat this Supreme Court justice. How dare you, Joe Biden, give them a pass because you want to heal this country? That won't heal the country, you mother stupid idiot. No, what will heal this country is justice. Goddamn leaving no one behind. Economic justice is racial justice. Recognizing what is truly breaking this country apart. What is truly hurting us, the American people. And it's, it's fascism, yes. But into uh, this broken system, we wouldn't have a filthy, fascist, tickling, racist, funny bones if not for the broken economy. For the kiss-up, kick-down, neoliberal, I-got-mine-sucks-to-be-you economy that Joe Biden and his DLC Democratic enablers helped create with the help of their fascists on the other side of the aisle. The ones they want to reach across the aisle to? No, thank you. That's what makes me so goddamn concerned. That's why I have a tension headache every goddamn day. Listening to the shit on the corporate media, it never stops. That's where we're going, everybody. And as we, we had Ron Placone on the show on Saturday, and he re- reminded me, and it's the truth. And I said it last night. The next fascist that gets into office after Joe Biden, 
it will we'll have another fascist because when they run on change we can believe in and as every every president every administration every time we vote another uh, representative into office the american middle class the something weird continues to happen we keep sinking lower and lower and lower and the gap between rich and poor continues to get wider and wider and wider until we have an outright autocrat into we were uh, into the fissures of disunity we were warned by democrats by real democrats by fdr by harry truman they warned us that into this kind of this is the stuff of dictators that's why you want to have uh, you want to ensure living wages a right to a decent job the right to health care the right to be taken care of in your old age the right to have a decent life that's the american dream that's how you secure a lasting peace it's not that hard unless you're just a greedy bastard. There's enough for everyone's need, but not for everybody's greed. So come on here. Let me play. Here's Joe Biden. Well, anyway, before we get to that, that's why I brought up. I'm telling you, we know with uh, the white power guy. Come on. This is why I asked become a patron, because they're not saying this on the corporate media. We need this show and shows like it to expand and grow and get into everyone's goddamn living room. Because that's how we're going to win. You don't hear, yeah, okay, you hear on the corporate media, they say, oh, isn't that terrible? They tweeted out the white power, and then it was deleted after uh, they said that Twitler, he didn't realize it. Bullshit. Why don't they put it together? Of course he realized it. And they don't ask, but it doesn't matter. They don't put anything together anyway. They're not going to say, well, just like he says he's a nationalist, why wouldn't he say he's a white supremacist? He says white power, white power. They should have asked him, what do you think? What does white power mean? Well, if he's willing to go out and say I'm a nationalist and think that that's so cute and something to be applauded, then what's the difference? Yeah, of course, I'm a white person. Of course I believe in white power. You know, just like black people believe in black power and, and uh, black lives matter and all lives matter, right? Oh, God, we have an ignoramus squatting in the White House despite receiving fewer votes, and we have an entire media apparatus dedicated to what? Nothing. They're, everybody is out for themselves. They're not, nobody's working for the, the American people. They all say they are. Nobody is out for, uh, no, yeah, no, no. They're working for the, they're working for themselves. Even, it's like a giant pantomime. A circle jerk of democracy. You know, it's a kabuki dance of democracy. The corporate media plays the kabuki, pretends to be a free and fair press, while funneling money into the corporate shareholders. 
paying the millionaire, the billionaires paying the millionaires to spread nothing but uh, dull brainwaves. That's it. So stupid, this country, that the American people don't even know their real history. It's, yeah, it's a tragedy that those standing at the Lincoln Memorial don't know that Lincoln was the 16th president. That's not the biggest problem, though. They don't even know the real history of this goddamn country. Oh, he freed the slaves. He freed the slaves. Well, what happened? What else happened? What happened before? What happened during? What about George Washington? What about... What happened after the slaves were freed? What did they get? Nothing? Oh, we don't tell our real history. That's why. Oh, yeah. Because it's all... It only matters who's... Stock prices are elevated. Who has bloated stocks? Oh, hello. <laughs> you ever get the feeling you're being watched? Come on. You coming up? Yes. This is Tara Jr. Jr. Hello. How's your day? So, all right, let's play Joe Biden. Sit down. You, nobody wants to see your butt, Tara Jr. Jr. Nobody wants to see a kitty's butt on, the, on an e-cam. Look at him moving the mic. Excuse me. What are you doing? That must not feel good, biting a metal. All right, so Joe Biden gave a speech today, and it was typically boring and said nothing. But here's him ask, talking about bringing people together. Let me conclude it by saying this, and I apologize, you've heard me say this before. The words of a president matter. No matter who the president is, no matter how responsible or irresponsible the president is, a president, whomever he or she is, can take us to war or bring peace, can have markets rise or fall, appeal to the senior side of humanity or to our better angels. It matters. It really matters. Yes, it matters. And so I think it's about the tone. And I think it goes across the board. I know, I'll conclude with this, I know that I was criticized, legitimately criticized, during the primaries, during the primaries, by saying that I plan on uniting the country. Why was he legitimately? I'm a little confused why he said... Wait, wait, Tara Jr. hit the button. That wasn't me. Why he said, I was legitimately criticized during the primary for saying I was going to bring the country together. What the hell is he talking about? Now he's, well, I, that's why I'm baffled by him. I was imagining today when, hopefully, whatever, he becomes president, I guess. I don't know. It's, I'm of two minds. I know that we can't handle another four years of Twitler, but... 
can we handle another four years of a Democratic Party that wants to get back to brunch? We're, we have to, um, I'm telling you, if Biden is elected, it's, it's not uh, party time. It's overtime. We have to, that's, our work has only begun. There's so much to clean up, but there's also another aspect to this, waking up the DLC Democrats who are, they refuse to be woken up. They think there's nothing wrong, you know, and they're in the majority. I'm not, they're not in the majority. I'm putting it wrong. Not that they're in the majority. They have the larger platform. They're on The View. They're on MSNBC. They're the Stephanie Rules. They're the Nicole Wallaces. The ones, the bipartisan oligarchs. You know, reach across the aisle. A little bipartisanship. And, you know, because capitalism is rapacious to the point where if without regulation, capitalism will throw your ass overboard in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean because you're not profitable on your way from being kidnapped to a country you've, that you didn't even know. You have no relatives there, but you're a commodity, but then it figures out, oh, shit, you're sick, you're not profitable, something's not right, and overboard you go. That's capitalism. So without regulation, you're, you're fucking nothing. You are nothing. And the DLC Democrats make me sick because they think the remedy for this sick-ass system that has the American people living check to check to the point where one-third can't retire... The majority, 80%, live check to check. That's not a successful economy. And I shouldn't be the one that says this every day. It should be on Stephanie Rule's show, on MSNBC, every day. If they were the true liberal media, that's what they would be talking about. Not just Twitter's tweets. Oh, he deleted something, and now whatever. Here's Joe Biden. Come on. We're in big trouble here. And like Ron Placone said, and I agree, and I've said it before myself, what will happen is Biden will get elected. He'll throw some subsidies at the broken system. Trust me, they're not throwing a subsidy at you. You might receive it if you're lucky, and then the others get nothing, so they get resentments. But the subsidy is not to subsidize you. It is to subsidize the broken-ass system. As more and more money funnels up to the top, the subsidy allows the DLC Democrats to get back to brunch because they don't want to be bothered. They want to feel like they're doing something that they're not as disgusting, as completely disgusting as the idiots at the Trump and Z rallies. But... They're, they're really useless, too. And the next autocrat will be somebody like Mike Pence. It might actually be Mike Pence. Trust me, you know what I'm saying is true. If 
Mike Pence was squatting in the White House right now despite receiving fewer votes as Twitler is? What do you think would be happening? You think that the Democrats would... First of all, the only reason Joe Biden has a snowball's chance in hell of winning in November is because this whole system, everything is such a mess. If it was, let's say, let's say we didn't have a pandemic and, um, you know, they, the corporate media, still, they were harping on uh, how great the economy is, even though the majority of Americans live check to check and people, the uh, near half of Americans can't retire and millions of Americans go bankrupt without health care and thousands needlessly die and on and on and on. And you have to work three uniquely American low-paying jobs and blah, 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 and this gig economy and la, la, you know. And we had a Mike Pence who was able to control himself. Do you think that Joe Biden would have a chance? No way. The Republicans, some Republicans are starting to uh, pull away from Twitler. They're tweeting, like, for example, Dick Cheney tweeted a picture of himself with a mask. Some of them are distancing themselves from this, ab- this freaking abomination. But we shouldn't let them get away with it. But you know what? I'm just me. You're just you. We have our tower buster. You know, I'm asking, please become a patron. All over MSNBC, though, they're talking about bipartisanship. Healing. You know, that's how you heal. You become a bipartisan. You know how you heal. You give the goddamn fascist Republican Party a complete pass. You work with them. What the hell does that mean? How do you work with them? These are the same people chanting white power. The same people who said their proudest moment is blocking Barack Obama from filling a Supreme Court seat, which means they blocked us, the American people, the majority, and they inflict their conservative agenda on us despite not having anywhere near a mandate. This is not a center-right country, not in any way, shape, or form. It never was. It never will be. I don't care what they say. I don't care what they say on MSNBC. I don't care what Morning Joe says or Joe Biden says or Jill Biden says. This is a liberal country. When you break it down, when you, when you present it to people, when you say, should everybody get health care? Yes. Should we have unemployment insurance? Yes. Should we have regulations that when you turn on your chap and you drink your water, that you don't have explosive diarrhea because someone has inspected the food you eat and the water you drink? Yes. That's called the civilization. That's socialism. Unless you're out there digging your own wells, testing your own food, cutting up your own corpses to shove in your mouth, then you're, you know, 
You're living in a socialist society. Like you're, you're paving your own roads. Of course we are socialist. That's, that's humanity. Capitalism, my ass. Without regulation, you're doomed. And anyway, but the point is, these goddamn DLC Democrats, he wants to work. That's what he thinks is healing. Oh, we want to work with the filthy, disgusting fascists. I see. Did anybody send them to Washington? This is another ruse that they play on us, that they sent, that we sent them. We hear it all the time that the representatives say, oh, the American people sent us to Washington to work with each other. No, we sent you to Washington to get things done. Not, and what, what is that? Okay, uh, Amy Klobuchar says she can get things done. What is that? She gets things done like the Iraq war and the GOP tax scams and the funneling money into the pockets of the few and kicking down or uh, on the rest of us, enabling us to slip lower and lower on the ladder. No, we didn't send them to Washington to bipartisan, to be bipartisan. I want them, my number one agenda is to Make them work together, by God. Bullshit. No. Nobody says, "Get." I'm voting for my representative so they can go and work with Republicans and, and limit my health care, ensure that I can't make a living wage on one job, that I can never retire, that I have to live check to check until the day I drop dead. I can, and uh, unlike every other country, unlike my father and my grandfather that had a, a, a living wage, that they lived in this country, that the American dream was the American middle class, that they only had to have one salary and they could raise six goddamn kids on. Now, no, 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 now you got to have your, your job, your side hustle, your, your uh, Uber hustle. Your, your gig economy, while the rich get richer and richer and richer. That's not how, we're not sending them to Washington to fuck us over, bipartisanly. I'm so sick of it. Am I out of my mind? No. Did you ever vote for... Your representative saying, oh, I hope they go to, to Washington and finally, you know, just work with that Ted Cruz. Do something. Beat him in the middle. You know, Ted Cruz, the one who wants me to die without health care, who thinks he's not free unless the American people are dying needlessly, without health care, or declaring uniquely American bankruptcies for getting sick, medical bankruptcies, only in America. We, let's meet him in the middle. Let's, instead of a million Americans declaring uniquely American medical bankruptcies every year, let's, let's be bipartisanship. Um, let's get it down to only half a million a year declaring uniquely American bankruptcies. 
you know, we gotta, you can't be crazy. You gotta be incremental. And when, especially when, if you, when your fellow Americans are dying needlessly, I mean, all right, let's get it down to instead of 35,000 Americans dying every year needlessly for lack of health care, let's oh, work with uh, that Jim Jordan, please. That's why I sent you to Washington and make sure that only 17,000 Americans needlessly die for lack of health care. Pay no attention to the fact that we will move heaven and earth when 5,000 Americans die one day for being attacked, or 3,000. We'll move heaven and earth to send other Americans to die in a war of corporate aggression when a couple of Americans, well, you know, not a couple, a couple of thousand die on one day, but... Pay no attention to the 35,000 that die every year, but, you know, we can't, we got to get things done. Bipartisan. When you're, I don't get it. Why you want to be bipartisan with people who are trying to kill us and destroy democracy and literally prevent the mechanisms of government from functioning? When you have somebody like Mitch McConnell, who historian Christopher Browning calls the grave digger of American democracy, like comparing him to Hindenburg in Germany for being instrumental in destroying the German Republic, we have Mitch McConnell. This is what a historian said. He says, the German Republic could not have died without the help of Hindenburg, much like the American Republic is dying with the help of Mitch McConnell. But Joe Biden wants to work bipartisan with him. And he promised us, after all, that nothing will change. So guess what? Nothing will change. And when he's done with us, in steps a more effective fascist. Here comes Mike Pence, so to speak. Let's say we have the same circumstances, even the pandemic, and we had somebody like Mike Pence who can pretend to care, and he'll fit the suit, and he might even wear a mask every now and then. Where, what do you think Joe Biden's chances would be then? Not that good. This country is fucked up let's continue with him if we can't do that we can't function we have to bring the country together and I think this is how lost we are we have to bring the country together he thinks bringing the country together means working with the very people tearing it apart giving them cover Instead of the Republicans picking your pocket and helping you look for it, this is what they do. They steal your wallet and then they help you look for it. Here comes Joe Biden saying, don't worry, they stole your wallet. I know you stole their wallet. Let's both help them. Let's, let's, all, let's both look for it. Let's tell them we're both looking for it together. You know, working together, bipartisanship. Let's steal their wallet together and we can help pretend to help them look for it. 
This piece, if in fact we stand up, and by the way, you have what, don't hold me to the numbers, please, I'm, you can correct me on this, but I think something like 70 or 74 or 75% of the American people think you should wear a mask. The overwhelming number of people think you should take these precautions and so on, think we did should open more slowly. Well, I think that, you know, we should be talking to our better angels. Fuck off, and better angels. Making people indirectly feel guilty for not doing the right thing. Appeal to their better nature. I know that sounds almost idealistic, but it's not. Remind people, you don't wear this mask, you end up hurting someone or you get infected. You take it home to your child. You could take it home to your mother, your father, your husband, your wife. You have a moral obligation because it really is. It really is. Thank you. Yeah, whatever. Guys, I really do have to go. I apologize. I'm going to get in real trouble. I'm all probably already in trouble, but thank you. Go ahead. What's the last? I'm sorry. Good to see you out and about, Mr. Vice President. Uh, I'm a little confused about the delineation uh, about the destruction of monuments. You, you talk about the fathers of this country, Washington, Jefferson, is, is worthy of preservation. Are Confederate monuments worthy of preservation? Should they be torn down in the manner that they are being torn down without, without the vote of local elected yeah, officials? Yeah, bitch! Well, I think it's very different. I think it's better if they're taken down like they took Why? the Confederate flag off the Mississippi flag. That's the better way of doing it. But I can understand, I can understand the anger and anguish that people feel by having for years and years been under the statue of Robert E. Lee, who if you're an African-American. So it's a difference. It's always better to do it peacefully. But there's a distinction between, and those, those monuments, and, it's, and I, 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 I shift responsibility, and I'm not, I think, the elected officials where those statues are have a responsibility to move. Put them in museums. Get them down. But don't expect if you have sitting in front of you after all these years and we finally, finally are going through another phase of maybe responding to the systemic racism in America and what we've seen happen is don't be surprised if someone pulls down the statue of Jefferson Davis. It's better that they do not, but it's fundamentally different than pulling down the statue or going into the Lincoln Memorial and trying to pull, uh, you know, not Lincoln Memorial, I, I, that, that's a bad example, the Jefferson Memorial and grabbing Jefferson off his chair. So. Two, quick, two quickies. Uh, will you commit to three debates? Oh, yes. Three? Three, yeah, I, I, I commit to it. Look, I am committed to following the debate, the, uh, the national debate group that sets up these debates, who they pick as the moderators, three of them. It's been for this way for a long time. The first one is a one-on-one -on -one debate with a moderator. The next one is a, a town meeting setting. The third one is uh, a, a normal debate again. I commit to those. I'm looking forward to it. Last, last question real quick. Some have speculated sir, that, that, you, that you are what? subject to You're some degree dog. of what? cognitive decline. I'm 65. I don't have word recollection that I used to have. I forget my train of thought from time to time. You got 12 years on me, sir. Are, have you been tested for some degree of cognitive decline? I've been testing, and I'm constantly testing. Look, all, you, all I got to do is watch me, and I can hardly wait to compare my cognitive capability.
to the cognitive capability of the man I'm running against. Thank you so much. He almost called the guy a lion dog or something. You're a lion dog. You're a lion dog face pony soldier. Whatever. Give me a break. So, okay. Jill Biden went on The View. The amazing doctor. Dr. Jill Biden. Doesn't he inspire you? Don't you feel inspired listening to him? We have to be bipartisan. We got to wear a mask. Give me a break. Uh, bring a book, please. God help us. We're in big fucking trouble. So, anyway. Amazing doctor Jill Biden went on The View today to talk about the same things, really. How Joe, well, she has a book called Joey. She gave, <laughs> she gave Whoopi, uh, well, she is amazing, doctor. She gave Whoopi a gynecological exam. She gave her a pelvic exam. And then Whoopi was like, you're an amazing doctor. And she was like, I'm only a doctor of, uh, of education. What? So first she was like, you could be the Surgeon General. You're an amazing doctor. That's how stupid they are. All right. Here is Jill Biden on The View. In the pandemic and the protests nationwide, Dr. Jill Biden is helping her husband, Joe, navigate. One First of all, I'm sorry. I have to interrupt. <laughs> Dr. Jill Biden is helping her husband navigate. Dr. The amazing doctor, I should say, Jill Biden. I love how Whoopi... I wonder if she talks like this in the wine cave. This is what I wonder. Or if she puts on the... all. Oh, uh, first of all, when I talk like Whoopi, that hurts my throat. I, I did a whole Whoopi thing for like an hour once when we were doing the show, and my throat was hurting for days. So how do you, what, what is she doing? Where does she talk like that? Whoopi. She gets all kind of street and in, you know, down. Honey, you haven't been to the street in a while. So, but she's like, amazing Dr. Jill Biden. And this is The View, as we know, and I call it The View from the Ivory Tower. That's what it is. It ain't The View from the real world. This is the view from the real world. And that's the view from the ivory tower. The, where rich bitches get to sit around and tell us, when you're going to get out of the race? When you're going to stop? When you're going to stop pestering us for all this democracy, Bernie? When are you going to stop? Getting, when are you going to get out of the race for that amazing Dr. Joe Biden and, and her husband, who wants to be president? He's been trying for many, many years. Two times they took a pass, the Democrats. He's now, but now, you know, the energy. Can you feel the energy in the campaign? The enthusiasm is palpable. Oh, that was the pelvic exam. I'm sorry, Dr. Jill. You were palpitating my pelvis. 
but uh, it felt okay. It wasn't that bad. I'm a, I, even though I'm a homophobe, just like my good friend Joy Reid, because Whoopi, I, I played a lesbian once in a movie, and it took me year, a color purple. It took me years to shake off that lesbian. Everybody thinking I was a lesbian. It took me years. Don't you love all these great liberals? These corporate liberals? Like, well, like Hillary, like, like the amazing Dr. Jill, like Joe Biden. They always have to evolve. And like Joy Reid. They're all, they were like, you know, homophobic. Now all of a sudden they're all like, happy pride. <laughs> happy pride. Sorry to scream in your ear. I'm just so proud. Just like on today is the last day of pride. Thank God. It took me years to shake off the gay. I played a gay in the color purple. And I remember uh, there was an article. They asked me about it. And they thought I was a lesbian. And I was like, oh, no, I ain't no lesbian. That's why in Ghost, you know the show Ghost? Not a show, it was a movie where I played a ghost. No, I played a psychic. And somebody died, and she was making um, uh, something out of pottery, and it was a very sexual scene. But that was really me. I was supposed to be the hands of the ghost that was rolling all over that person's body. But I made them at least, you know, cut away. Because I didn't want anybody seeing me acting like a lesbian because it took me a long time to shake the lesbian off of me in the, in the view of society. That's what a great, amazing liberal I am. You know, back in the day when, when Bernie was out there voting for these, these gays, saying that they are living beings and they deserve human rights, and we were all evolving. He didn't get the memo. It wasn't time to evolve yet. You know what I mean? We had a lot more gays. A lot more gays had to die. A lot more gays like Matthew Shepard. You know, he wasn't dead yet. So we had to make get out there and make sure that uh, we gave a lot of tacit permission for people to go kick some gay ass because, you know, we were uh, working bipartisanly and not all the other partisans on the, on the fascist side were ready to evolve. They still wanted to uh, f- kill some gays, beat up some gays, so we, uh, we had to evolve, too. We had to say, all right, I think it's disgusting, too. I read Joy Reid's articles, her blogs, where she was like, it's disgusting when you see men kissing. You know, who wants to see men kissing, she wrote. I was like, not me. I'm no lesbian. I was, I, but now I, I'm fine with it. 
because there's no political advantage to actually standing up for something, and now there's nothing to stand up for because it doesn't hold the same bang for its buck for the Democrats. So all you notice how all the Democrats evolved at once? It's kind of strange how that happens. One day you're sitting there acting like you're not a gay, getting all offended when somebody asks you if you are a lesbian and you're like, excuse me, how dare you? As if it's like some kind of insult. And then all of the sudden, you get the memo from the DNC. All right, everyone. One, two, three, evolve. Now we all got all kinds of cups and merchandise. We're getting like, uh, you know, Hillary has her rainbow flags. And Joe Biden has, well, he even tweeted out today, Joe Biden and his amazing doctor wife, they tweeted out, oh, congratulations all to the gays. You know, you did you were human beings all along. Who knew? <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't get the memo. I mean, I saw Bernie. This Bernie. Why is he always the one out there? I just said, why are you always the one, Bernie? When are you gonna get out of the race, Bernie? Making us all look bad. Evolving before us all. Right? Like voting for equal rights, saying that gay rights are human rights, like 30 years ago. What is that? I mean, it's almost like you thought they were human all along. That's weird. Didn't you know, um, didn't you read Joy Reid's article? Where she was like, Gross. And then, and also, I mean, you never got back in time. Nobody ever said, like, let's find something that Bernie wrote that was anti-gay. And you never had to say, you don't know what it's like then if you never had to pretend you were hacked. Right? Now you're such a great liberal coming up with all kinds of body language experts to say that you're a liar and a turtler. Because you look like a turtle and that means that you're, uh, you're lying. But, you know, oh well. Amazing. The most complicated and controversial elections probably in American history, but maybe not. She's also interested. <laughs> well, that's a very succinct analysis, whoopee. It's the most controversial historic election in American history, but maybe not. All right. Maybe it's uh, blue, maybe it's black, but maybe it's purple, but maybe not. I guess that's why they pay you the big bucks, whoopee. Because you have such a scintillating analysis about everything. 
and you're really, you're a Democrat. You're a real Democrat, whatever that means. You don't, I guess a real Democrat is somebody who resists, whatever that means. When they, but when you say things like, hey, economic, uh, economic justice is racial justice, you're like, when are you going to get out of the race? What are you going to do for me, Bernie, little Bernie crat? And they say, I, I, you know, what are you going to do for the African-American community? And you say, I don't know. Uh, I have to find out what they stand for. I'm not, you know, I'll put people in my cabinet that are, uh, share my ideals. And then you're like, well, your ideal is putting somebody of color in your cabinet. That's it. Period. End of sentence. Didn't you get the memo? That's the change we can believe in. Not the change that we need, but it's the change we can believe in. Here's a, This is why they pay me the big bucks, you little Bernie. You little Bernie Crat Tara Buster, whatever your name is. Listen to me now, girl. I'm going to take you to school. Here's some scintillating analysis. In the pandemic and the protests nationwide, Dr. Joe Biden is helping her husband Joe navigate one of the most complicated and controversial elections <laughs> probably in American history, but maybe not. She's <laughs> that is why I pay, they get me a lot of money. Dr. Jill, she loves saying Dr. Jill because she loves saying she's an amazing doctor, okay? But listen to the scintillating analysis. Don't know what it means. Dr. Jill's helping her husband navigate the most complicated American history race in the whole goddamn universe. Forever and ever, amen, but maybe not. In the pandemic and the protests nationwide, Dr. Jill Biden is helping her husband Joe navigate one of the most complicated <laughs> and controversial elections probably in American history, but maybe not. <laughs> what the fuck? Navigating and complicated everything is so complicated. I don't know, maybe not. She's also introduced him to a whole new young generation of Americans in her new children's book. Oh, well, that will come in handy when the children get to vote for him when he's 90 fucking two. Oh, Joe. Joey, the book about this old goddamn corn pop. I hope corn pops in the book. I want to play corn pop. Please welcome... Dr. Jill Biden. Hey, good morning. Oh, my God. Let's hold on. Oh, my God. I'm going to cry. Dr. Jill Biden is navigating this whole fucking thing. And it's maybe not. I don't know. They pay me a lot of goddamn money. Who knows? I don't know. Wait a minute. Listen to my sicky, sickly saccharine goddamn introduction. Dr. Jill Biden 
is navigating a lot of shit with her husband, and it's fucking amazing, but maybe not. In the pandemic and the protests nationwide, <laughs> Dr. Jill Biden is helping her husband Joe navigate one of the most complicated and controversial elections. Don't you love her? The most complicated and controversial election. It's getting old street on Dr. Jill. In American history, but maybe not. She's also introduced... Wait a minute! What does that mean? I'm sorry, I keep repeating it, but... In the pandemic and the <laughs> protests nationwide, Dr. Jill Biden is helping her husband Joe navigate one of the most complicated and controversial elections probably in American history, but maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? Oh my God, somebody! Make it stop! Make this world stop! Dr. Jill is helping her husband navigate the most constipated, constipated and controversial election in American history. But maybe not. That's why I get paid a lot of money here. I don't know what the fuck I do. I'm reading a teleprompter. I got a little fucking baby Yoda behind me. I don't know. I'm sitting in my ivory tower. This is the view from the ivory tower. After all, I'm really out of my fucking league here. I'm out of touch. I'm talking to Bernie. Listen to me. I'm asking this Dr. Jill over here to be the attorney general. Is she even an attorney? No, she's a doctor. Not a doctor of medicine, bitch. She's a doctor of science education. Amazing doctor. Either way, but here she is, my amazing doctor friend. Listen, how lovely I speak into her. She's also introduced to a whole new young generation of Americans in her new children's book, Joey. Please welcome Dr. Jill Biden. Please welcome to Dr. Jill. And here is, listen to this shit. To stay in this race uh, for president because you believe there is a path to victory. I want to know what that path is because this feels a little bit like it did when you didn't come out when uh, Hillary Clinton was clearly well, the person folks were going for. So can you explain not why these you're folks. still in the race yeah, well, and what this not, path is that well, you I, see? I, I, well, one of the reasons, that's not quite accurate, I worked as hard as I could to, uh, for Hillary Clinton. But the reason there is a, uh, a, well, but a, I, a path Bernie, just, just so we're clear, you, you worked for Hillary, but it took you a very, very long time to, to, to hop in, and your people no. also. It took a very long time for them no, to I, hop in. So shut I, up, bitch. When I say that, that's what I'm talking about. your people. Yeah, well, I, I don't accept that characterization, but the point is okay. people have a right. Why are you still in the democracy. race? <laughs> People have a right, last I heard, people in a democracy have a right to vote, and they have a right to vote for the agenda that they think can work for America, especially in this very, very difficult moment. We are assessing our campaign, as a matter of fact, where we want to go forward. But people in a democracy uh -huh. do have a right to vote. And right now, in this unprecedented moment in American history, I think we need to have a very serious discussion about how we go forward. 
here he turtles. If you look at his eye level where he normally answers questions, when he makes the denial, his whole shoulders come up like a little kid getting caught. His eye level is below his shoulders. This is trying to hide in plain sight. And many of us, we don't know what to look for. So if you look for this right out of the gate, and the strongest denial is simply the pandemic and the protests <laughs> nationwide, Dr. Jill Biden is helping her husband Joe navigate one of the most complicated and controversial elections probably in American, in American history, history, but maybe not. But maybe She's not. She's also introduced him to a whole new young generation of Americans and her new children. This is how stupid we are. That's why we're stupid, everyone. Dr. Jill is helping her son, her son, her whatever the fuck he is, navigate the one of the most constipated and controversial elections in American history. But maybe not. Anyway, who cares? Here's that amazing motherfucking doctor. Facebook, Joey. Please welcome Dr. Jill Biden. Hey, good morning. <laughs> hey. Hello, so, good morning. Hey. Hey. Is that you, Dr. Jill? You're looking delicious over there, bitch. I oh my, I oh my god, I don't even care who thinks I'm a lesbian now. You're amazing. Not only are you amazing, I mean, after all, we all know that it's okay to be gay now. I'm not gay. Don't even think of it. I'm not gay, but you're amazing, girl. And uh, look at all the smiles we got around the table for you. Not like that damn goddamn turtle. That Bernie turtle getting out of, I want to know. I want to know. What is your path, you little socialist? After all, we got to get back to brunch. What is the policy? Oh, right. I'm sorry. It is um, having somebody with darker pigment. That's it. Sitting in different positions over the least upwardly mobile country with the widest income gap. And it's... You feel a lot better when you're dying needlessly without health care, knowing that there is a vice president, v, a, a VP female person who has darker pigment sitting in the White House. How you doing? Hi. I mean, he, I know Joe's out on the campaign trail. How, how are you all feeling? Are you, you know, you're all still a bit confined. How's it going with you? Hey, can I come you over? Know, we're doing we're doing great. We have two studios here in our home, an outdoor and an indoor. Uh, we are zooming from nine in the morning till ten at night. We're talking to thousands of people. Yet last night I did a uh, a zoom with thousands of women for Biden in Pennsylvania. Really? There's so a thousand I've been of talking them? to educators and frontline workers, and Joe's on constantly. So that's how we're campaigning these days amazing so you know i know the campaign is the campaign right now but i'm not taking anything for granted uh Jill, because trump you know he might have tanked in tulsa but he's still got a big turnout in arizona and his supporters will show up at the polls no matter what no matter what disease they're going to get he has other tricks up his sleeve too potential help from putin maybe a little smattering of voter suppression now, Not a smattering. your husband, our beloved Joe Biden, beloved. he said that his biggest fear was that Trump would find a way to steal the election. And, and I, I, I'm afraid of that also. I'm very scared. Tell me what Joe and the Democrats are going to do about that. We don't have well, that nothing. Much We're going to have left. a black woman doing? VP. You know, we don't have that much time left. We have like four months 
and it's going quickly. And so there are people working on this, and uh, our campaign is working on it. People on Capitol Hill in Washington are working on it. You know, our vote, as you know, Joy, is the most important thing we have as Americans. And uh, so that's why it certainly I ain't all of your viewers don't take anything for granted. And I hope that they, everybody gets out there and votes. I hope they register to vote. If they're able to vote by mail, I hope they do that. You know, they have to talk to their friends and their family. And I know that every election we keep saying, oh, this is the most important election. This is the most important election. But this is. And people must vote. Because, you know, we've had four years of Donald Trump. Four more years will fundamentally change this nation and who we are. So we must vote. Oh Hi, God. Jill. Well, as you know, Republicans are very tribal. And Ugh. Trump says that he has a 96% approval rating in the Republican Party. He is predicting a big win because of the silent majority, which we know from 2016 does exist. No, they don't exist. You are the silent, you're the very loud and vocal mi minority. There is no silent majority. They, the Republicans won despite receiving fewer votes. That goes across the board from the Senate to now that we have the House. But when the Republicans held the House, they held the House in spite of the fact the Democrats won a million more votes. So you're not the silent majority. You are the very loud minority. And this is why we need a liberal media to push back on this bullshit that gets into the public consciousness. It just seeps in, and then it becomes the re it becomes reality. People start seeing, thinking it. They start repeating it, even though it's not true. You're not the silent majority. That's all of a sudden going to come out in lockstep and vote for Twitler. They're voting, and, and if that's the case, shame on them. But the fact is, we, we know that millions will vote for Trump, even though he's a fascist, an incapable one at that, and a racist, and a homophobe, and everything else, and a grifter, and a goddamn sexual predator, and not a successful businessman. But... I don't want to hear the bullshit ever, always and always, constantly repeated again and again and again to the point where other people repeat it. It gets into, the, oh, well, the silent majority. And when the Republicans steal in an, another election, when they rig the voting machines, when they act, uh, when they suppress the vote, when they kick people off the voting rolls, and they illegitimately seize power, then what will the corporate media say? Oh, it was the silent majority. You see, they don't want to say, but they go out and they vote. Bullshit. That's why we need a human, a human. <laughs> we need a liberal, we need a human media. Why did I say human? Somebody wrote human on the chat. We need a liberal media. And this is the liberal media, everybody. Oh no, motherfucker! I just got a, I just got a 
text from Facebook. Of course. Disney Enterprises has blocked your video because it contains content. The view. That's on Facebook. Um, how can you counter what he's Son saying? Son of a bitch. Well, you know, I, I think, Meg, I have a little bit of a different slant on it. Um, from what I've seen, a lot of Republicans are going to vote for Joe, you know, and they've been saying it. Maybe they're not saying it publicly, but when I was out there on the trail, a lot of people came up to me and said, Jill, I'm a Republican, but I'm going to vote for your husband because he's a moderate. And he's a steady leader, and uh, we believe in That's why Joe. I'm blocking and it so <laughs> with my I face. Think, you know, of course, Trump has his supporters, but I think a lot of his supporters have become disillusioned, especially in the way that he's handled this pandemic. And uh, we've seen the, you know, I mean, just these last two days, the, the spike in the numbers of people who are getting sick and how he's not even addressing it and uh, taking care of American families. So I, I have a little bit of a different take on it than maybe you do. We I'm doing that. Now, um, Dr. Biden, you and your husband were part of a historic time in our country, the election of a black president, and Whoop. you witnessed a lot Whoop. of the vitriol the Obamas were subjected to. Now we're four years later uh, at the end of, of uh, President Obama's presidency, and we are uh, seeing these sustained protests uh, across the country, really uh, around the world, in the response to the killing of George Floyd. Um, how does uh, Joe Biden plan to heal our country? Here we country? go. Well, you know, we, uh, we went and we met with the Floyd family, and, uh, you know, our hearts just went out to them and what they went through and how horrible it was and, and you know, that they had to go through this public grief, which, of course, Joe and I are familiar with. Of course. But um, moving forward, I mean, uh, you know, Joe is known for bringing people together. That's one of his oh, strengths. Oh, yes. When he was in the Senate and as, as vice president, um, I think that's been one of the hallmarks of his career is that he worked with people on both sides of the aisle, especially with the violence against women with the Affordable Care Act. And I think oh, that people, Joe knows, um, has longtime friendships with Republicans, Democrats, oh, independents. Wonderful. And I think um, he's going to work who across Joe the is. aisle. And I think that's one of the things that we look forward to is a president who's going to bring people together instead of tearing families and Americans apart. That's how you work with people. See? We have Social Security and Medicare looming. The number of people on Social Security and Medicare is about 40 million. This is him working across the aisle. Years. Would you consider looking at those programs, age of eligibility, absolutely. cost of living, put it all on the table? The answer is absolutely. You have to. I mean, you know, it's one of the things that my, you know, the, the political advisors say to me is, whoa, don't touch that third. Yeah. No, don't touch that Social something. Security. It's real simple proposition. We have to do... And I were talking about yeah, Bob you got to do something about it. You got to slap people. that medicine at old people's in the hands. Bob Dole, George Mitchell, when we put Social right? Security in the right path. This is him working across the aisle, putting Social Security on the table with Bob Dole. And they got together and they were like, hey, let's get together. Let's make a blood oath. All we 
band of brothers, we powerful men, make a blood oath while the working class are slipping lower and lower down the ladder into the ranks of the working poor. And old people are unable to decide whether they're going to eat or take their medicine. Let's make a blood oath together, you and me, Bob Dole. Bipartisan. That we're in this together. We powerful men making deals in the Senate gym and in the sauna room and in our wine caves. You know, we have great health care as the rich are getting richer and the working class are becoming the more malleable working poor. We have to, we got to do it. We got to touch that third rail. We're in it together. Not the band of brothers to help the American people to ensure that we have a, an economy that works for all. So another, so a twitler doesn't rise to the executive office. See, this kind of shit that he's talking about right here is what made Twitler possible. How dare they? But of course, we have no institutional memory. That's what The View is there for. That's what MSNBC is there for. That's what Meet the Press is there for. We're not supposed to connect the dots. We have Twitler. All of a sudden, the country was Walking along, we were rolling along smoothly. Everything was great. All of a sudden, boom! A fascist, racist, wannabe dictator autocrat with a fake university and a vitamin scan became president. Oh, wow! How did that happen? It, it, it happened. It couldn't be because the middle class is now below 50% of the population or that the American people live check to check and can't retire and die needlessly without health care or can't save $400 and they bipartisanly passed a, the Republican health care plan that keeps the cat bird goddamn oligarchs in the high uh, ivory tower seats of power deciding how to suck profit from our miseries and the Republicans squat in, the, in their seats despite receiving fewer votes, they got to have some bipartisan help, though, getting their agenda through, like the Iraq War, like cuts to Medicaid, attacks on Social Security, attacks on the middle-class life that we thought was our birthright. There he is, making deals. He's working across the aisle with his friend Bob Dole. I'll never forget what Bob Dole said. After we reached an agreement about gradually raising the retirement age, et cetera, he said, look, here's the deal. We all put our foot in the boat one at a time. And he kidded me. He stepped like he was stepping into a boat. And we all make the following deal. If any one of the challengers running against incumbent Democrat or Republicans attacks us on this point, we'll all stay together. That's the kind of leadership that is needed. Social Security is not the hard one to solve. Medicare, that is the gorilla in the room. And you motherfucker. Ugh. We all step in this boat together. We powerful white men. Ensuring, you know, that we powerful white men that have health care for life.
that have pensions. That can save $400. You know, when our kids have a deadly disease, they can fight it. At least they have a fighting chance because they're not worried about health care. They're not on the phone to the insurance company adding to their stress. They're not getting calls from collection agencies while they're trying to recover. They're not declaring uniquely American medical bankruptcies like over a million Americans do every year. Well, now it's down to half a million thanks to the ACA, but it's going back up thanks to Twitler and the Republicans, the, the same Republicans he wants to work with, Mr. Bipartisan Joe. God. Wake up, Democrats. Wake up. Okay, you want to put him in office? Let's not kid ourselves. He's a two-time loser. The Democrats, our predecessors, rejected him. Probably some of you rejected him two times before. They said, no thanks. We'll take a pass. We don't want the one who plagiarizes. We don't trust the Republican in Democratic clothing. Now, all of a sudden, he's the great white hope. He's the historic election. I heard somebody on MSNBC say, Joe Biden's historic election. Historic? What's so historic about it? Except that it's completely unremarkable. It is ex- it's typical, given how broken we are. Everybody better wake up. Democrats, if you call yourself a Democrat, you better get on the right side of history and the right side of democracy, or we will be done. This country is over, and the next fascist who gets in office won't be as easy to beat. God. Thank you, stupid Facebook. They blocked my video. They blocked this. That's why I hope you're on YouTube. They shut the fucking show down in the middle because we were playing a, uh, the view from the clip. From the clip. The clip from the view. The view from the clip. Unbelievable. That they could just do that. They just shut your video down. Fuckers. Can't talk about the view. Well, this is what they did. Well, YouTube did that to me. I already, I still have a strike on my channel because we had a Democratic Party watch, a Democratic debate watch party. And that is the property of CBS, everyone. Didn't you know? Transnational Corporation owns the Democratic debate. So, all right, well, it's getting late, but while we're on the topic, because she wrote a book, Jill Biden wrote a book, she wrote a book about her husband, you know, introducing him to a new generation of toddlers. Who cares? Who's buying that book? Anyway, 
It's not like anybody cares. It's not like Joe Biden is this beloved figure. Am I wrong or something? Maybe I've missed it. He's never been my favorite Democrat. I've been a lifelong Democrat. I've always known him for what he is. He's a corporatist. He's always been the one that we have been fighting against whenever we wanted progress, whenever we needed progress. And we've always had to go through him, go around him, fight him, in spite of him, fix his mistakes. He's always been the one who's been a traitor on the wrong side of history. Always. Yes. And he's been... He's not, what is he running for president for? He wants to be president, not because, oh, well, Jill Biden says that, that Joe Biden made his decision to run after Charlottesville because he needed to step in and, and save this country. This is about the soul of this country. Oh, yeah, it wasn't about the soul of this country. When you were making it impossible for student loans to be discharged in bankruptcies, though, right? That was about fucking the American people royally for generations, creating a generation of indentured servants to banks. You know why? Because when a student can't discharge the loan, and it's often not their fault. So a bankster can sell you some dodgy, over-bloated loan, so there's no, there's no pain on the side of the banksters. It all boils down to the individual then, the powerless person who doesn't have big lawyers or money or lobbyists on their side. So that's who Joe Biden screwed over. And because what they say is like, well, if you, you shouldn't take out money if you can't pay it back. But you don't know what the circumstances were or what happens in somebody's future. So you don't give them an out. That's why if both parties have like Biden says, when he says skin in the game, when he's referring to cutting Social Security, he's, he's referring to his pact with his bipartisan pals to cut Social Security and Medicare. Although they have to have skin in the game. We're going to protect each other if we have political repercussions. The same thing should happen to the banks. They should also have skin in the game, not just blame the victim. Blame the dupe who gets effed over. Never discharge your loan in bankruptcy. Don't worry. Corporations can declare bankruptcy until they're fucking blue, until we're blue. They can declare bankruptcy again and again and again. Not you, though. Not you. Don't you get it, though? You know why? Because you're the mark. We, the people, are the suckers. We're the hosts from which to suck profit and discard. Government, ideally, is... We, we're the government. It's supposed to work for us. Ideally, the scales would be balanced in our favor, not in the favor of the banks. Not in the favor of the powerful. It is to protect the powerless. 
you know, me and my friends, me and my 320 million friends. Okay, you know, corporations, you want to F me over? You got to get through me and my 320 million friends first because we're in this together. Not in this country, not in the way they have it rigged now. That's why Democrats, you better wake up, Democrats. You better stop with your bullshit. You want to get back to brunch and you're tweeting hashtag resistance and join the resistance. Wake up, read a book. Start with the history of Western civilization. We're in this together or we're not. This country has a functioning economy that works for all or it works for some. And if that's the case, we're not a functioning democracy. And government, the representatives of the people, if they work for the corporations and not the people, we got a big-ass problem. And that problem begins with you and me and everybody else waking the F up. It ends with that. Well, it's the beginning of the end. If we wake up and understand that, that we're in this together. And you see the ruse that they're playing on us, the dupes that, they, that, that, that we are surrounded by. But don't be one of them. Wake up. Join the real resistance, the FDR Democrats. We're trying to fix this thing. How do you fix it? I explain it every day, every time we have a show. And that's why I ask you to become a patron, because more people have to hear this. And we have to have more shows constantly. Every day there has to be a show. So somebody hears it, and then they hear it, and then they spread it, and they tell their friends. And they say, you know what? We're being played. Government, this isn't, uh, capitalism isn't synonymous with democracy. What am I thinking? We need regulation, and we need democracy in the workplace for living wages for all. And an economy, what is the meaning of an economy? Is it to make some people extremely rich so they can buy politicians and corrupt government? No. It's to make the economy work for all. And that's why we are, uh, we will fix this racist-ass problem by making an economy work for all. And then we leave no one behind, everybody in, nobody out, regardless of the color of your skin. And all of this racist shit has always been an economic game that they've played on us to keep us divided. Racism has always been an, econo- in an economic ruse from the beginning. Yes. Hi, John. Thank you for being a patron. You're the newest patron who made tonight's show possible. That is the truth. Thank you. And thank you for being here. Let's, where is my applause button? Do I have an applause? 
I thought I had. See, you got to be, you can't talk about it. You just got to do it. But that's not good applause. That's a smattering of applause. Hmm. I got to get better applause. What about this? No, that's like talking. That's ambiance. Well, we got this. <laughs> Hi, get up here. Get up. What are you doing? What about this? I know. Relax. One last thing. I know it's late. I said I was going to do another four-hour show, but here we are again. Do you mind? <laughs> you want to hear something? Oh, God. Hold on. This thing. Well, oh, you know, Jill Biden wrote a book. Stop that. What are you doing? Sit down. Sit down. What's the matter? Oh, God. Wait a minute. Where is this? Wait, I'm looking for this book. Hold on. Jill Biden's book. That's right. It's right out of something you might see in in Nazi Germany. Oh, here it is. Oh, shit. Don't forget, God bless our troops. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, help us. Don't forget, God bless our troops by Jill Biden. Illustrated by Raul Calon. <laughs> Does Daddy really have to go? Daddy is a soldier, Natalie's oh mom God. answers in a quiet voice. Soldiers have to do hard things sometimes. Like murder other people for, for corporate hair. aggression. Her father takes Natalie in his arms. To make the world safer corporate you, interests. Softly. Natalie smiles. I like that song, Daddy. I like it, she whispers. <laughs> right. Natalie sits look, on the floor of her room. Look at that soldier out the window. That's a Nazi. That's a Nazi's helmet. Stuffed animals around her. Her dolls are here. Her books are here. Even her dog Webby is here. But one thing isn't here. Daddy isn't here. He's dead. Out thanks to corporate aggression. Oh, no. I mean, he's off making the world safe for democracy. The October sky is gray. Leaves are falling. Daddy's not here. <laughs> Natalie thinks again as she watches a red leaf drift past the window and out of sight. Natalie calls it the day we eat turkey. Make a wish, says Nana. And yeah, don't think anything about all the slaughtered turkeys. Be unconscious like the rest of us. Just 
shove the dead carcasses in your mouth and make a wish on their bones. Pull, tug, snap. Natalie pulls the wishbone and wins. I wish that Daddy would... Shh, Nana says, putting a finger to her lips. <laughs> Keep your wish secret and hope that someday it will come true. Or Daddy might die by... Uh, improvised explosive device. And then what are we going to do? Be brave, Natalie. Be brave, like the your daddy. Outside the kitchen Don't window. ask any questions. Na be stupid. Be empty. Think, if you see uh, someone dressed like a Nazi, just say, thank you for your service. Don't ever think any... Uh, with any depth about it when you see someone in uniform you are to be incredibly subservient because that's what it means to be an American don't question just salute the flag and, and sh go shopping she helps her mother bake holiday cookies yum says her little brother hunter they will send the cookies to Daddy. <laughs> will Daddy be coming home? Natalie suddenly asks. Natalie no. sees her mother turn away. There will always be another war of corporate aggression. And wipe her eyes. Especially when no one is thinking. And they all say, thank you for your service. And salute the flag. Mandatory flag salutes. That's what it means to be free. She runs over and puts her arms around her mom. I love you, Mommy. I love you. Be brave, Natalie. Be brave. Like everyone who stands up to the goons. I mean, like Daddy. Knocking into peaceful protesters and showing and throwing tear gas at them and hitting them with batons and shields. So many people are kind to the family. Yesterday, the neighbors brought over a homemade pizza. Today, Dad's friend Alex is shoveling the sidewalk. Your dad is sure helping our country, Alex says. I want... Not that we can figure out why and how. How is Daddy helping the country by stirring up a hornet's nest of terrorists in the Middle East, a country in a country that never attacked us? But don't think about it, Natalie. Don't think. Just be brave, Natalie. And shut your fucking mouth, Natalie. Salute the flag, Natalie. Deutschland über alles, Natalie. To help, too. On the lawn, Natalie and Hunter are rolling big snowballs. They are making a snowman. Natalie puts an army cap on the snowman's head. Everyone wants to be a soldier. A snow soldier, Natalie shouts. Be brave, Natalie. This is right out of some kind of Nazi nightmare I had once after my father made me watch World War II in color for the 13th time. Now that he didn't make me watch that, I watched it willingly. This is how I relax. That's probably why I have a tension headache. I watch Nazi documentaries. When I'm trying to chill out. 
And for those who just joined us, I see someone on the chat saying, what the hell is this? <laughs> this is Jill Biden's children's book. Okay, about a soldier. And it's as creepy and disturbing as something you might read in the Third Reich. If you were a child growing up, in Nazi Germany, this is something that you might find under your Christmas tree. Natalie stands in the church hallway looking at a page of the church bulletin. She touches the page. Here. Her father's name is here, along with the names of many other soldiers. Except they're not here because they're out fighting in a, a war based on lies. Oh, your father is really doing a lot of work for us. I don't know what he's doing. We're not allowed to know. We can't question. You can't question patriotism. You just got to go. When corporations tell you to go, you go. People will pray for all of them. A girl behind her is also looking at the names. Natalie wonders, is her daddy or mommy far from home too? Is her mommy or daddy safe? Hi, Natalie says shyly. Hi, the girl answers, <laughs> smiling. Right away, Natalie knows they will become friends. Be brave, Natalie. What? Natalie's baby tooth is hanging by a thread. Mom turns on the computer and gets Dad on video chat. Daddy, Daddy, Hunter waves. Natalie's tooth is ready to come out, says Mom. She's going to pull it. Natalie sees her dad waving and waves back. I'm afraid, Daddy, it may hurt. Dad smiles. Go, go, go. You're a big girl. Next, you'll be in a war Natalie of corporate aggression. Holds up a picture. There are many soldiers in the picture, and one of them is Natalie's dad. Oh, wow. The teacher points to him. The soldiers are far, far away, she says. They are fighting for our country. Really? Natalie feels special. How are they fighting for our country? Nobody asks. Nobody knows. If I ask the teacher, she says, shut up, Natalie, and salute the flag. And all the other kids gather around, and they point at Natalie, and they say, traitor, traitor, traitor. And then Natalie salutes the flag like a good little Nazi, like a good, unquestioning American Exceptionalist. On her way to recess, she looks at the picture again. She leans over and kisses her dad right on the nose. Be brave, Natalie. Be brave. You won't have a daddy soon, Natalie. Natalie and Hunter are playing soldier with their daddy dolls. <laughs> because that's how we train the budding generation to be big warmongers for corporate aggression like the rest of us, unquestioning doltards, meat for the grist, the grill, ch meat for the grinder, marching into war mindlessly while everybody says, be brave, be brave. What are we fighting for? Who the fuck knows? They said there were weapons of mass destruction. I don't know. Were we attacked? No. Okay, well, now someone wants to blow us up. Look, my friend just got 
murdered by an improvised device. Why am I thousands of miles from home? Be brave, Natalie. Nobody knows. No one questions. Just salute the flag, Natalie. Salute the fucking flag. That's what it means to be free. Unquestioning loyalty, mandatory flag salutes, and wars of corporate aggression that you never that never end. And you don't know why. And then the wannabe president, the wife of the wannabe president, writes this Nazi fucking tome for children. Right out of some some goddamn I don't know from uh it sounds like Magna Goebbels couldn't have written a better book for children. She starts to cry. I want daddy. Natalie holds her doll up in front of her face. She pretends the doll is a puppet. Don't cry, Hunter. Be a big strong boy, she says in a daddy voice. That's not daddy talking, says Hunter. Yes, it is. That's what daddy would say. Hunter nods. He stops crying. He wipes his eyes. Be brave, Natalie. Jesus Christ, Natalie. Wake up. I'm tired, Natalie yawns. Yeah, I'm tired too. I have a tension headache. Nana and Pop's house. Hunter is already asleep. Natalie snuggles next to her grandmother. We had a busy day, didn't we, Nana? Nana smiles. But it was a good day. You were such a helper, too. We sent hundreds of One day of you'll help overseas. corporations. You know, honey, your daddy isn't the only soldier in the army. There are many soldiers far away from home along with him. Now they'll know we can. And care. none of them want to die. Oh. They have they have that in common. Except some of them are there because they're poor. Some are there because they need education and they don't want to come out as an indentured servant to bank. Some of those are in there because their wife has cancer and they can't afford medical insurance so they join the the military that's actually uh why some of them are in there and uh unfortunately none of them are in there um making us free i I don't know what the hell they're doing because when you pour meat and money into the incubator for terrorists it just kind of seems like the war never ends and uh we are really there because halliburton stock was kind of low and now the military industrial complex the well the military industrial congressional complex that eisenhower warned us about is um got us all by the balls be brave natalie Let's say prayers before you fall asleep. Natalie closes Let's her pray eyes to the sky spook quiet. that nobody's gay and Whoopi doesn't get any. And nobody thinks Whoopi's a lesbian. And nobody discovers Joy Reed's old blogs. Then she opens her eyes for a brief moment. And don't forget, Nana, she says in a sleepy voice. God bless our troops. Be brave, Natalie. Natalie stares down at the blue, shimmering water. She hears the sounds of splashing kids. I can't, Mommy. Her mother stands in the pool, waving. You can do it. 
Pretend you're swimming to daddy. <laughs> Natalie takes a deep Who breath. Who is off one fighting two. for what? Oh, he's making us free. Really? By attacking a country that didn't attack us? Okay. Three, jump. Natalie feels the water over her head. She sputters as she comes up laughing. I did it, Mommy. I did it. I did it. Be brave, Natalie. <laughs> Natalie and Hunter wear their army t-shirts all summer. Their mom chuckles. Natalie, that shirt is so dirty it can stand up by itself. Let me wash it. But Mommy, soldiers get dirty when they wear their uniforms. Why can't I? Webby seems to agree. Woof, woof, Webby barks. Woof, woof. <laughs> Natalie is making a picture. We're getting Natalie prepared for being the next sacrifice in the war of corporate aggression. Carefully, she draws long red stripes, leaving white spaces after each one. You know, the flag. The American flag that we just salute unquestioningly. Just keep saluting. That's what it means to be an American now. Don't question. Don't think. Don't have a country that works for all. Have a country that works for some. And go, if you need health care, just sign up and be shot out for sixpence. Even though Thomas Jefferson said that the greatest pride in America during the initial days of the Republic were that we didn't have a standing army because we had no paupers to furnish the materials. Now we got plenty of paupers and they're all saluting the flag. I don't know why. Because they're we're free or something? Next she picks up a crayon and colors in a blue square in the corner. Then she dots the blue square with white stars. It has to be the best picture ever. It's for someone very special. Be brave, Natalie. <laughs> this book sucks. Natalie is so That's what excited. I mean. She bounces here, she bounces there. She sees soldiers everywhere hugging their families. Suddenly, she sees someone... See, all of, all of them came Mommy, home. Mommy, Hunter, Nana, everyone, there's Daddy. Natalie races to her father and hugs him around the legs. He lifts her up, up, up to his shoulders. Daddy, my brave daddy. Her dad laughs. No, no, no. It's you, my little Natalie. You are my brave, brave girl. Not like all of the rest of the daddies. Now, there's no story about Natalie in another town who stands there waiting for daddy who never comes home because he's dead. Anyway, because this is you know, propaganda. You would think this is what we're up against, okay? Wouldn't it be nice to have a first lady that wasn't somebody beating war drums for no fucking good reason? What does she bring to the table with this? children's book what kind of a lesson for children is that even if you're a soldier i wore the uniform of this country this is a disgrace don't make kids mindless militarists that quite unquestioningly 
think that, uh, that, you know, look at war as something that makes us free? It depends. Yeah, okay, if we're fighting Nazis. Not if we're making the world safe for Standard Oil, as General Smedley Butler said in his classic anti-war tome, War is a Racket. That's the militarist. That's the book. How about Jill Biden do a, a children's book on that? That should be a children's book for everyone, for all kids, kids of all ages, but especially children. Why don't you illustrate that? War is a racket. Instead of all of this bullshit surrounding us everywhere, the propaganda. Let's reach across the aisle. Let's work with them. Let's, we got to do something. We got to cut Social Security. We got to cut Medicare. Oh, we're going to, how are you going to bring people together? I'm just going to make a black woman my VP. That's it. We're done. Reach, reach across the aisle and let's, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, uh, I don't know. What am I saying? It's just the, the work that has to be done feels, it feels insurmountable sometimes. If this was a sane world, that book, Joe Biden's book, book, and The View and all of that, all of those uh, that have a large platform like that, they would be sitting in their living room saying, please become a patron. And every child would be reading War is a Racket. And I would be in millions of living rooms instead of the other way around. God. Really? Let me see. Hold on. Before we hang up for the night. I just want to read an excerpt from Smedley Butler. To put a pin on it. And before we hang up as well, I also want to thank all of you for hanging out. I want to thank John for becoming a patron and making this show possible. And I, I really do thank you very, very much. Please send me, I sent you an email or a text on the Patreon page. Anyone who, if you'd like a window cling, you have to email me your, um, your address. I keep calm and join the resistance window cling. And I will send you. You can contact me at contact at republicandirtytricks.com with your name and your address if you're a patron. And I'll know. And I can, I'll send you one. And what else? Now we want more patrons. We got to get patrons. That's it. We need about a thousand more of you. If you're sitting on the fence, if you're able to become a patron, $2 a month, $5 a month. Imagine. That's it. That's, that's chump change. But if we get enough of us together, $2 a month, $5 a month, some people $20 a month, some people more. Greg, forget about it. 
He's my number one fan. If I had, if I had 50, if I had, oh my God, we had 500 Gregs, 50 Gregs. We would have a show every day. We'd have more than this show. We'd have a whole network of shows. But as Smedley Butler, General Smedley Butler, the most decorated Marine, I think, in history, <clears throat> his portrait hangs on Paris Island. And he wrote, it's a pretty slim volume, but it's a, it's a short read, but it's a, it is a powerful one. And it's pretty famous as well. I'm trying to find the fucking, some of it. I have it somewhere in the house, but I was trying to look for <coughs> more, a larger excerpt. Hmm. But anyway, since I can't. Here's a, uh, an excerpt from War is a Racket. I spent 33 years and four months in active military service, and during that period, I spent most of my time as a high-class muscle man for big business, for Wall Street and the bankers. In short, I was a racketeer, a gangster for capitalism. I helped make Mexico, and especially Tampico, safe for American oil interests in 1914. I helped make Haiti and Cuba a decent place for the National City Bank boys to collect revenues in. I helped in the raping of half a dozen Central American republics for the benefit of Wall Street. I helped purify Nicaragua for the International Banking House of Brown Brothers in, in 1902 to 1912. I brought light to the Dominican Republic for the American sugar interests in 1916. I helped make Honduras right for the American fruit companies in 1903. In China, in 1927, I helped see, it, see to it that Standard Oil went its way unmolested. Looking back on it, I might have given Al Capone a few hints. The best he could do is operate his racket in three districts. I operated on three continents. So, every... That's every soldier should read that. Every American should read it. And especially Joe, Jill Biden. What is she doing with a children's book like that? Such a disingenuous children's book. I know it's I guess it's for s children of soldiers. They want to believe daddy and mommy are fighting to make the war safe for democracy. How about we start making it safe for democracy at home and get real? How about we get real with our youth and stop making them such automatons for, for what? For capitalism? For militarism? We have young people serving now, young people right now in Fort Jackson going through boot camp who weren't even born on September 11, 2001. And they're going to head off into the same old incubator for terrorists. 
How much longer, I have to say, are we going to take it? All of it. This is how damaged this country is. And that's part of the reason why. While the rest of the world is dealing with the pandemic, while the rest of the world deals with it without having 40 million unemployed and the majority of death and the majority of cases and are on the way, on the decline, their cases, ours are going up, we are being torn apart. And some bullshit bipartisanship and fantasy fairy tales are not going to fix it. I know what's going to fix it. You know what's going to fix it. That's why you are a supporter of the show, and that's why you're patrons of the show. Because it's not a secret. It's not like I came up with it. I'm just somebody who's saying it out loud. The thing that you don't hear on corporate media or anywhere else. We, can, we have all we need to fix this country. It's not that it's so divided. It's that we refuse to do what needs to be done. Because the same old big-moneyed interests that have always had us by the neck are still at it. So, how much longer? That's what I have to say. Are we going to take it? I want to thank you all for hanging out again tonight. It was another four-hour show, despite the fact I promised it wouldn't be. <laughs> thank you, Richard, for your super chat. Who else super chatted? Shannon, thank you. It's, it only goes back so far. I know there were more. Where are you? Where are you guys? Let me see. Still time to super chat while we're on the way. Still time to become a patron. Become a patron. If you're if you want to become a patron now. If you want to share the show with your friends, become a patron. Right now, go over to patreon.com slash taradevlin. Sign up for become a patron. Yes, I know. We got to eat. <laughs> and, all right. I can't go back and see who I missed on the Patreon. Not the Patreon, the Super Chats. Now, I'll make you another promise. I know these shows are getting epic. Maybe you're getting burnt out. Who knows? But, yet again, if somebody becomes a patron, tomorrow, by tomorrow, all during the day, I will do another show tomorrow. Why not? Maybe it won't be four hours. I don't know. But if I don't, if you don't see me, you know why. We know we have work to do. We got to get the word out. There's never a dull moment. There's, don't worry, there's no shortage of material. Okay? You know it. But, yeah, I wish there was. You guys are great. Yeah, I want to do more shows because I know the more we do, the more content we create, 
the more we will find other people for our community. You know what I'm saying? And it also helps. It seems to help my headache. I also have to dye my hair. I have to dye my roots, as you can see. My roots, my roots. My roots are on fire. My roots. I, I'm growing my hair. Because I haven't had a haircut. I don't care. I'm saying, I'm, I'm not, I can't, I got to have a haircut eventually. I'm not going to grow like a, a Duggar girl hair. But <clears throat> I need I need a lot of help, that's for sure. Where are the loops? Yeah. Whoop big. Amazing doctor. You are an amazing cat. You're my cat. You're a good cat. Uh-oh. Sorry, I hurt your leg. I didn't mean it. You forgive me. I can't even sing. My voice is cracked from doing Whoopi Goldberg's imitation. It hurt my voice just like it hurts us. It makes me unable to talk I can barely walk It must be nice being whoopee mm -mm 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 -mm. It's nice The view from the ivory tower Is kind of Makes a little bit out of perspective that's why you need a Tara Buster. And you need a Tara Junior Junior. Uh-oh. He's getting cranky. He's biting. No, he's not. He's kissing. He's kissing. <laughs> you guys are great. One day, we're going to have another song when I can actually sing, maybe. Except now, every time I do whoopee, you hear the voice. It's cracking. Anyway, let's wrap up the show, and I want to tell you. You know what I'm going to say. We stick together. We win. That's the only way we're going to win. Because we are on the right side of history, on the right side of democracy. We're in this together, and we understand that we leave no one behind. And that's how we're going to win. Economic justice, American justice, racial justice. We are in this together. And we are the real Democrats. And we know it. Yeah. And they know it. That's why they have to work so hard against us. But we are in this together, and we won't leave anyone behind. Yeah, that's right. And that's the message. 
of Tarabusta. Yes, right. And Tara Jr. Jr., he knows it too. So maybe I'll see you tomorrow, or maybe I won't. But remember, give the show a good review <laughs> on iTunes. Share the show with your friends. And we stick together. We will win, and you know it, we will win. Because we're on the right side of history, the right side of democracy. And we will win. My name is Tara Devlin. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. I will see you, perhaps maybe tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs>